Welcome to the 100th episode of the Cinefessions podcast. I'm one of your co-hosts. My name's Brandon Shawin, and joining me tonight are Ash Collins and Mark Nadeau. Ash, Mark, I've missed you both since uh, our last recording. I'm really excited to be back in the uh, behind the mic again tonight after a couple weeks off. Yes. Ash, I know you've started a new job since the last time we talked, so how's that going for you? Busy, but... Uh... I'm happy, and I have my own fucking office. How awesome is that shit? Hell yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Very good. And Mark, how's Canada? And more importantly, how are you? I'm good. As since this is the 100th episode, I wanted to present you with this rose. Um, oh my gosh. It, 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 it's simply these two, these two uh, uh, leaves. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, it, it really symbolizes me and Ash. And you are the rosebud oh. here. So I just what here, a fucking you want, gentleman. Want to take this? I I'm trying to the camera. Let, smell it. Smell my rose. Smell it. Yeah. Oh, that's good. Uh-huh. That's good. Yeah. It smells like it smells like you a little bit, and I like that. Yeah, it's it pretty right. Like teen spirit. Yes, pretty right. Pretty the best right. kind of teen spirit. Yeah. So, excuse me, uh, this is obviously our, our very first video cast, so I'm looking here, I'm looking down at that, I'm reading my notes, I'm all over the place, so uh, you'll just have to uh, forgive us for that, but notes. anyway, so if- We don't need no stinking notes. Right. So, if you are listening to us like you always do- So, if you are listening to us like you normally do using iTunes, for example, you may not realize, but this episode 100 is extra special, because not only are we recording this with video- but we are also recording live for the very first time. So if you're joining us live, thank you so much for being here. Um, and we hope you can uh, we can keep you entertained for the couple hours that we're here. Um, if you weren't able to make it live here tonight, you can still check us out uh, with the full uncut episode right on YouTube. Just go to YouTube and search uh, Cinefessions. And uh, make sure you subscribe to us while you're there because then you'll get a notification whenever we release a new episode um, or a new video, rather, or when we go live if we decide to do this again in the future. So, uh, And at this point, I have in my notes that, but that's not the only reason this is a special night because we did have a special guest planned for you. Um, Chris Ranson, who uh, most of you will know from back in the beginning of the podcast, from episode actually from episode 1 to 35, uh, was a major part of the show, the, the third co-host. Um, and then there was one episode that we had four co-hosts, episode 35. Um, and uh, Mark joined in at that point. And then personal things happened with Chris. He decided to step down at that point. Um, and, uh, you know, Mark stepped in and took over as that third co-host. But unfortunately, uh, Chris's cable, or rather his internet company, is garbage. And uh, his internet went down for the second time this week. So unfortunately... Uh, Mark will not, Jesus, Chris will not be able to join us tonight. Uh, Mark, Mark's here. Don't worry about that. But Chris won't. So uh, Chris, I I think you're watching. So thank you for uh, trying to join us. Um, Unfortunately, we don't uh, get to have your opinions here tonight, but hopefully you'll be able to join in again in the future. So uh, excellent. So what the hell are we going to do tonight? On this I'm going to go pull my food. I'll be right back. Okay, perfect. On this special live edition of our 100th episode, well, we have a, a trifecta of, of fun films to talk about. So first will be the original summer blockbuster, or one of the original summer blockbusters, along with Star Wars, Steven Spielberg's Jaws from 1975. Then we move on to something completely different and a whole hell of a lot sexier, just like Mark, Andy Sedaris's Malibu Express from 1985. 
And then finally, we will discuss arguably M. Night Shyamalan's last good film, Signs from 2002. So, <laughs> before we start tonight, though, it would be impossible not to acknowledge the sad news that broke this week about the passing of the godfather of the dead, George A. Romero. As most of you already know, George A. Romero passed away in his sleep on July 16th after a battle with lung cancer. Uh, Romero had a stronger influence on genre filmmaking than arguably any other modern filmmaker out there. The social and political messages he brought to the, to the genre were handled with more class and sophistication than anyone could have expected from an indie filmmaker from Pittsburgh shooting horror films on a shoestring budget. His casting choices were bold and important, giving actors opportunities that others were afraid to at the time. Romero was so much more than his Living Dead series, though. He was able to successfully branch out to thrillers, comedies, and dramas, and even wrote an excellent comic book series called The Empire of the Dead. Whether you love everything that Romero did or not, there's no denying the influence he's had on popular culture, including being one of the main inspirations cited by the creator of the zombie phenomenon, The Walking Dead, Robert Kirkman. Um, I was fortunate enough to meet Mr. Romero at a horror convention about six or seven years back, and he was a genuinely nice guy. He didn't rush anyone through his line and was willing to talk with everyone and had a smile the entire time. In fact, um, Brad Henderson noted on Twitter that whenever you Google an image of Romero, he's always smiling and he's right. Romero just seemed like a guy who appreciated his life and he passed that appreciation on to his fans when you met him. Uh, for me, I adore what I've seen of his work and I'm incredibly proud to have his autographed crazies t-shirt hanging on the wall right behind me there. It says, stay scared. Um, I'll finish up by saying the thank you, Mr. Romero. Thank you for introducing me to the wonderful world of the living dead and for helping me find a passion for genre filmmaking that'll stay with me until the end. Now, Mark, I know you've met Romero on, in the past on a couple different occasions, I believe. Did you have as positive a takeaway of him as I did? Yeah, the first time I met him, uh, it was a bit quick, uh, just because, it, well, first of all, it was my first convention, so I wasn't sure what the etiquette was and whatnot, uh, but he was one of the first people I met on that trip, and uh, I thought it was just amazing that I'd meet anybody from a film that I loved as a kid. Like, to me, it, to, still to this day, I'm still kind of, I'm very awestruck when it comes to that kind of stuff. Absolutely. And, yeah, and then I met him uh, last year in Hamilton for a, a convention that was brought on by Rue Morgue. And uh, I was one of the first ones in line, and I spent probably a good five, six minutes with him. Signed my Day of the Dead poster, and uh, yeah, he was just cool, smiling. You know, now knowing that you know from what he passed, um, it, it looked like his health was declining. You know, mm -hmm. and he was hitting all these conventions like he didn't stop. Right. I think maybe only one or two conventions he had to pull out due to illness, but he was going up until like you know his last uh, few months. So, uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm very pleased I had a chance to meet the godfather of the zombie. You know, he didn't invent the zombie, but he really reimagined it for the modern times. And, yeah, uh, absolutely. yeah, it's, it's something I'll never forget. I've got my, I got some pictures with him. I've got some items signed and, uh, he'll always be, he'll always be right here. So that, well, that was my heart, not my tip, but, uh, he'll always be, you know, he's happy to so be either that, place. Oh, yeah, man, I'm awesome. But yeah, I'm just happy that I had the chance to meet him. And I have friends that have similar memories. And this was a pretty cool week to just to revisit. Well, I haven't been able to revisit his films yet, which I will do as soon as I can, probably next year. Uh, but uh, yeah, I'm just, I'm glad I had those few moments with him. That's something I always cherish. 
Absolutely. Ash, have, I, have you ever met Romero at all? Um, no, I hadn't actually met Romero. Um, I mean, I grew up on Night of the Living Dead. Uh, my mom made sure of that. <laughs> um, and then, uh, you know, the, the pseudo sequels that uh, Return of the Living Dead were because they were set like right after Night of the right. Living Dead. Uh, and then, of course, you know, Dawn and, and Day. Um, and I grew up on those. Um, I'd actually just watched uh, Night of the Living Dead for the uh, Cinefessions uh, Summer Challenge, too. So I was kind of like, oh, damn. And I and I follow, um, I follow, uh, oh, God, I never remember his name. And he's going to hate it. Because, and he'd hate it because the only thing I can remember him is uh, the sexy dude from uh, uh, from Dust Till Dawn. Ah, oh, God damn it. Tom Savini? Uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Because uh, he, uh, he, I follow him on Twitter, and he posted, like, a picture of it, and he thank you for the memories and type of stuff. And, I mean, he was, uh, he was the big reason they did the remake in the 90s, uh, so that, uh, they actually got a copyright slapped on Night of the Living Dead for Romero, so... Because uh, the original is not copyrighted, they forgot to put the tag on it. So right, it's public domain though, correct? That's where the yeah. Sony DVD releases of it. Yep, exactly yeah. right. Yeah. yeah, the original Night of the Living Dead is public domain. Never put the copyright on. Excellent. But, so yeah, I, 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 yeah, I, I, and I grew up watching that movie. I still remember scaring the crap of my sister. You know, with the whole "They're coming to get you, Barbara." Love that. Line, know, yeah. Just, yeah, yeah, just a lot of a lot of good movie memories. I never got a chance to meet them, but you know, yeah, awesome. It will be missed. Yeah, definitely will. And so I, I think it goes without saying, but we're proud to dedicate uh, episode 100 of the Cinefessions podcast to the memory and legacy of the godfather of the dead, George A. Romero. So last but not least, before we jump into our reviews for the evening, let's talk about social media and how you guys can follow us outside of just listening to the podcast. So you can find us on Twitter at Cinefessions. You can email us at contactthecinefessions.com. And you can also leave us a voicemail if you want to be part of an upcoming show at 1-302-448-TALK. That's 1-302-448-8255. Also, make sure you're following Cinefessions on Instagram uh, because Mark posts a ton of reviews on there and all of his media pickups. So definitely give that a follow. And you can like our Facebook page at facebook.com backslash Cinefessions. And check out our long list of past reviews and all previous 100 podcast episodes right over at Cinefessions.com. And also, if you've been listening to us, and more importantly, enjoying what you're listening to, please do us a big favor and leave us a review on iTunes. Those reviews on iTunes are essential to helping us grow. So thank you in advance for taking the time out of your day to support us on there. We really, really appreciate it. And finally, we are proud to tell you that episode 100 of the Cinefessions podcast is brought to you by Audible. Audible's offering a free audiobook download with a 30-day trial so all of our Cinefessions listeners get an opportunity to check out their services. There's over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, your Android, or your Kindle devices. So head on over to audibletrial.com backslash Cinefessions to get your free audiobook. That's audibletrial.com backslash Cinefessions. All right, gents. Are you ready to dive in here? Are we ready to go swimming with some sharks? I got my wings on. Got my water Absolutely. wings on. It's under my shirt. 
fantastic. All right. So if you are watching, we do have a viewer, so thank you for watching. Uh, you can always put a comment in on the YouTube uh, chat section if you have access to that, and I will do my best to uh, check it throughout the course of the show. Um, I can't make any promises that we'll see it all the time, but I will definitely do my best to check um, because at this point I have... <laughs> Only, uh, you know, two halves of my screen, but we'll go from there. And I apologize if my uh, camera's bouncing a lot, but that's what you can, can, you, what can you do. Down? What's can that? You, can you pin it down lower? Lower. Pin it. Oh. Can you bring it lower? <laughs> what? I'm going to keep it up here just for now. Just for now. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Picture <laughs> on, picture on. All right. All right. That's right. Absolutely. All right. So. Today, we're not going to be talking about our week in media or anything like that. We are just going to dive into these three reviews and uh, go from there. So, first up, we're going to go in release order. So, first up is, like I mentioned, one of the original summer blockbusters, Jaws from 1975. So, Jaws was directed by Steven Spielberg, written by Peter Benchley and Carl Gottlieb, and it was uh, based on the novel by Peter Benchley. It has an IMDb score of 8.0 out of the 4,000, four, I'm sorry, 4,000, 447,689 votes, a Metacritic score of 86, a 97% tomato meter score, but an audience score on Rotten Tomatoes of 90%, an $8 million budget with a $260 million gross. So very impressive figures for Jaws. All right, so this seems a little silly to ask, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Mark, what is your history with Jaws? I remember watching it, I think, on HBO on my uncle's big old C-band dish back in the day. Obviously, I was not born when it was released, um, but I remember watching it on satellite. And then at the time, just thinking it was just a regular movie, no big deal. Then I bought it on DVD when it was first released. Uh, obviously liked it, watch it over again, over again. And that's become a yearly tradition around the early July. I watch it. Um, now I have the most recent, I guess, Blu-ray release of it. And it looks so good on, you know, on Blu-ray. Um, I can only imagine how good this would look in 4k because it looks right. very clean on the Blu-ray. But, uh, yeah, I've always liked it, but I think as older as I get, uh, the more I, I understand it better with the whole USS Indianapolis and whatnot and the historical context and just, just the performances of the actors, which we'll get into. But, uh, yeah, the older I get, the more I, I love this film. Perfect. And Ash, this of course was your choice for this week. So what is your history with Jaws? Um, I actually remember watching this when I was five. I don't remember five or six, maybe I think six, six, probably right. Um, like for the first time. So that was now oh dear God, 1980. Uh, so it was definitely VHS. It wasn't in theaters. Um, but, uh, I remember just being scared shitless and absolutely <laughs> loving the movie at the same time. Um, I think, uh, I wasn't bored with it at all. And it just engrossed me. And it's one of those movies I like to watch at least one year. And I've, watched it a lot i mean it just, i try not to but you know i can <laughs> basically quote along as the movie goes but um no i absolutely love this movie i love the way spielberg you know shot it um the whole less is more approach uh just you know everything around that it just uh it you know it kind of sparked the summer blockbuster and they kind of still use a similar formula to it today even though it's yeah they've changed it up with what it's about, but you know, most beat by beat, you know, follow along. I mean, hell, Jurassic Park follows. So, right. you know, yeah, good stuff. 
Yeah, but I thought it was interesting because I was listening to um, just a little bit because it's like a two-hour making of documentary on the um, the disc, like the hundredth or the hundredth, the uh, universal uh, whatever thirtieth anniversary disc, I guess it would be, um, Blu-ray, and uh, it um, was talking about Spielberg was talking about how when he read the script, he thought to himself, "Oh my God, like this is this is Duel, but in the water." And so Duel, of course, was the film he directed right before this, which is about a uh, a truck, essentially, that is, you know, chasing down this, you know, this victim or victims, I guess. And uh, I have seen that one, but it's been quite a while. But I mean, it is essentially, you know, like they called the car. It, they call that Jaws on Land. I mean, Duel was Jaws on Land before there was Jaws and it was done by the same director. So I think that's interesting, um, but very, very accurate to, uh, you know, to what they were doing with this. But yeah, for myself, you know, I've seen this, I'd, I have no idea how many times I've seen it a lot and uh, I've always enjoyed it. Um, yeah, I mean, kind of just the same thing. It was nothing that I watched when I was real young or anything like that that have, uh, you know, a, a kind of a deeper connection like that. But it was something that I've always uh, enjoyed ever since I first have seen it and uh, owned it on DVD. And I've owned it on Blu-ray twice, I think, because I bought a regular Blu-ray of it when I first started collecting Blu-rays. And then um, Universal released this, uh, like, th- I guess the 30th anniversary or whatever it was, disc of it. And I've uh, been watching it on there the past couple of times. And actually... I was an idiot. So after we recorded last episode, so, uh, you know, almost a month ago now, I actually watched, We it was July 4th. Everyone was watching Jaws. And so I was like, well, you know what, Bridge, like, what are we going to watch tonight? And I was like, well, everybody else is watching Jaws. Like, let's jump on the, fa- on the on the wagon. And so I was like, let's watch Jaws. And then I, it didn't even occur to me until the next day when I was like, wait a minute. Like, we have to do this for the podcast. Why didn't I take notes? But whatever. So I actually watched it twice since our last recording. Um, so <laughs> I don't know if that was a, a good thing or a bad thing for it though, when I was taking the notes, but I guess we'll, uh, we'll find out as we go along here. So, so jumping right in, I always forget about this random opening campfire scene at the beach. Um, it makes me laugh though, because the only thing that saves the guy from, from being attacked by, by the shark is that he passes out drunk. Um, I don't know. I just enjoy that. And it, it's our only uh, bit of semi-nudity in the entire film, too. Yeah. What gets me every time with the opening of Jaws, and it's not on the vinyl soundtrack that I own. Maybe it'll be on the Mondo. But I just love the guitar and harmonica at the beginning when they're all by the campfire. Oh. It's such a simple melody, but it just it kind of puts you at ease because, hey, everybody's chilling by the campfire and whatever, you know. And then you've got... Do you think that girl had a wig? Because that hair was so... Oh, I didn't even, didn't even notice. You know? Um, and the nudity was quite nice, if I do say so myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, yeah, being floral. Is, it, is drunk, it a little different talking about the nudity because we're on the video cast? It feels different for me. It's oh, like, oh, they're putting the face with the name. You know what I mean? Oh, it's all good. There's pictures of me all over the place online. I don't care. I'm not going to just kidding. right now. Wait till we talk about our next film. Right, exactly. Um, why do you think I picked it on purpose? Because it's <laughs> awesome. Anyways, um, yeah, no, I thought that first scene just, you know, uh, it, it, right off the bat, it just feels like a summer film. You know, even though this is like the first big tentpole summer movie. I, th- I believe this film really generated that big summer movie buzz where mm-hmm. every, uh, because it made so much money, every movie company needed something big in the summertime, you know? Right. It was uh, this so one this- in Star Wars. Yeah, well, this was, yeah, this was first Star Wars was in 77. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, but this really kickstarted this whole summer blockbuster, um, which I've always enjoyed as cheesy as most of them are, you know, and this film can be cheesy at times, but it's all fucking good. But, uh, yeah, that opening scene is just, it puts you at ease and then boom, a little, little terror right off the bat. So it sets right. the mood for the film. Yeah, absolutely. Very good. And so as I was watching, just kind of stream of consciousness through this thing here, I wrote, I was writing down, I was like thinking back to my 4th of July viewing of it. I said, I wrote down that this first kill is arguably the most brutal in the entire film. Now, I realize that that's wrong because, uh, you know, continuing in through the end. Um, and obviously there will be spoilers for Jaws. I, I don't know how I didn't mention that. I mentioned that every <laughs> single time we do these podcasts. A hundred fucking episodes later, I blow it. But um, there will be spoilers for Jaws, Malibu Express, and Signs, which frankly, the only one that matters for spoilers is Signs, maybe? Like everybody in the world seen Jaws, Malibu Express, spoilers don't really matter. You're not watching it for that. But anyway. But there um, is a story, though. Yeah. Yep, there is. There is. Um, but anyway, and I thought it was interesting because that kill, it feels so uh, long and almost drawn out. Not in a negative way, not that I was bored watching the kill or anything, just long compared to with her screaming for her life for so long. And I and, and the only other time you get anything like that is with the killing at the very end, which obviously that's the ki- that's our only main character who dies, right, Quint? But yeah. um I thought it was interesting that that first one was so brutal. And frankly, I thought it was the worst until we, until obviously five minutes before the show ends, before the movie ends. But um, I like that kill I, because of that reason, because it is so uh, brutal is not the right word. It's not necessarily brutal, but it is pretty violent. And I like that about it. Well, it I is because, right. Oh. If, if I remember right, didn't the uh, the girl, uh, they, they had her in like a, a harness. And I think the harness actually injured her while they were doing it. Oh really? Uh, yeah, yeah. It was. Wow. Uh, it weren't intending to jerk her around quite so much or quite as hard. So okay. Ouch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow, oh, man. The the thing too though is that like she's swimming and then she gets a little nip on her on her foot, you know, a little tug, and then she's pulled over uh, under, I should say, and then just the the water goes crimson, and that's what I like about it. Like yeah, it, it, it's 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 not gory, but it's graphic. But it's really theater of the mind because you're only imagining what uh, the shark, uh, Bruce, is doing to her. I think the right. only time we actually see what uh, what the shark's done to anybody is like a brief, like, what, three second, less than three second glimpse of the leftovers, the limb that they recovered from the beach. And that's it. Yeah, just the hand, right? With yeah. the crabs walking all around? Yeah. I think you're yeah. right. That's... And then you just realize by the uh, by the deputy's uh, look on his face that the body's right. pretty mutilated. So um, one of the major aspects about Jaws that I think is is probably its strongest suit, its strongest aspect, has to be with the um, introduction of characters. So the first example of that is Brody's assistant. She has this tiny fucking role. This is the only time you see her. It's this older woman, you know, dressed like she's a banker from the, you know, from the 70s, whatever. And um, she just instantly comes on screen and her lines of dialogue, you know what type of person that this this character is. And it's just instant. It's like, oh, she's interesting. Um, And it's just, it's very good writing that way and very good acting. Obviously, the acting is, is great by her. But- 
she's not the only character because the instant we meet Quint again, nails on the chalkboard. It's just like, okay. And then he has this kind con- this monologue and it's just like, okay, you know who he is instantly. Hooper, the same damn thing. Just the introduction of all these characters is so good. And I think that that really speaks to how uh, strongly it was written. And same thing for the sheriff, you know, and then you realize he goes to a yeah. small town to escape some PTSD he had in the big city. And yep. he hates the water, but then is the sheriff of a uh, ocean community, you know? Mm-hmm. It's only an island if you look at it from the water. <laughs> right. Exactly. Because that makes sense. That's why I love that. <laughs> I love their their exchanges. And I, I, talk, I, write, I write that down a little bit later, just talking about um, how good I think um, Brady and Hooper are on screen together. I think they're just fantastic. Brody. And that's Brody. Brody. I don't know why I say Brady. Brody. Brody. And uh, I think they're just awesome together. And I think that's one of those exchanges where they just, it works so well. And just for the opening scene, I've always wanted the suit that the mayor wears with the anchors. I I literally wrote down that same thing. Oh, really? I was like, I need one. Yeah. See, to me, this, this so still stupid. feels so much like summer vacation to me. And like, it reminds me a bit of my old family uh, summer vacation, the trips we did together. Okay. I don't know. It just it still has just so much nostalgia for me. Hmm. it's hard not to not like something right and and speaking of the introduction of the characters again the mayor instantly <laughs> i hate the mayor like and and then and the asshole that he gets with him i don't know the guy's name but he's like i was wrong we'll have to amend our reports like fuck this guy fuck all three of these guys in fact such an an accurate but it's such an accurate portrayal of the government that it's scary but well, fuck all of them yeah that's the mortician or the criminal uh or the uh uh, corner, or corner, corner, you know, but you know, like I understand the thing is as old as I get, like you don't, you hate the mayor, but you don't really hate him. Like he's not that bad of a guy. He is looking out to, you know, his community, looking out for his community because these are the money months for them. So I, I see his point of view. But why is he doing that? Because that's, what's going to get him reelected. Like he's yeah. not looking out because he wants them to have better lives. You know, if he did, he would make sure that people aren't getting killed. I feel like he's only looking out because that's what's going to get him reelected. But at the same time, though, if the community suffers with lack of tourism, then, you know, makes his job harder and he wants his constituents to be happy. So, like, yeah, it's selfish, but at the same time, it, it is for the greater good. Well, yeah, but the other the other thing with that, too, is that you really get a, a deeper glimpse at the mayor's character when... He's complaining about the billboard when it's been painted over. <laughs> and Hooper's like, I think you're going to ignore this problem until it swims up and bites you in the ass. I, uh, and he's, and he, he's just like, whatever. He just went on the you know cover of National Geographic. And, uh, yeah, and, he just, and then Hooper just starts laughing. It's yeah. I love his reaction there. Yeah. And it, it's just, and yeah, the mayor, he's looking out for people. But at the same time, he's just like, yeah, you know, this is bad for business. Come on. Come on. Yeah. That's how I feel about it. Yeah. That's how, that's what I the feeling I got. But and then there's Alex. Alex is pruning ass, couldn't listen to mommy. And then he becomes shark bait. <laughs> all right, so let that be a lesson to everybody out there. I don't man, feel oh, bad man. From at all. <laughs> that motherfucker. <laughs> oh man. Maybe it's so I, because I'm not attracted to his mom. I don't know. <laughs> That's what does it. That's what determines if you feel sympathy. That makes sense. Pretty much. I see that. Pretty much. That's why I, I, like, I wanted to have babies with all the people in Malibu Express because I'm attracted to all those ladies. Um, but the Kittner mom, not so much. No. Fuck, fuck her babies. Kittner's, Kittner's death, though. Alex's death. 
that scene, that shot that they do on Brody on the beach. Oh my oh, the, fucking god! The push pull. Yeah, I, 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 yeah, it's, it's you know great. often referred to as the vertical effect or the Hitchcock zoom. But yeah, it's a push pull. It's like literally the camera operator is physically pushing the camera toward the actor. Excuse me, bumping everything. Who's cock? <laughs> Hitches. <laughs> Oh, okay. Yeah, so he's physically pushing the camera toward the actor at the same time pulling out with the zoom, creating that almost like strobe-like effect on Brody's face, and it's fucking brilliant. It's one of my favorite shots ever. Like I absolutely love that shot. Um, it's it's wonderful. I remember talking about that when I was fortunate enough to teach a film course. That was one of the major shots that we talked about um, when we were discussing different shots. I love that one. Love talking about that. Um, I one another line I love right before that is that's some bad hat, Harry. And the reason I love that line is because there's a production company called Bad Hat Harry Productions. Mm -hmm. And at the end of their shows, that line plays. So, like, if you ever watch House, you'll hear, that's some bad hat, Harry, at the end of that, every episode. And so I love that. Um, but I just, I love that line in that moment. That's, Stupid um, Harry. That's Brian Singer's, uh, that, that's, am I not? Okay, there it goes. No, you're yeah, good. It's uh, Brian Singer's production company. Oh, uh, really? Okay. From X-Men? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Very cool. Yeah, I like that a lot, but yeah. Um. Yeah, and then we talked about Quinn's entrance with the nails on the chalkboard. Um, again, it's just an instant character builder. And it, it also, it sets him up immediately as somebody that I want to spend more time with. And I think that's so important because obviously the entire second half of the film, we're spending time with him. See, you do want to spend time with him, but if you were with him in real life, I think you'd find him repulsive. Absolutely. <laughs> because I, I, I have yeah, the barrier of the television. Right. Probably smells like... Uh, but it's like a mandibles. It's more like a musk. I probably have to mm -hmm. buy it, put it in the bottle, there's put it behind a, my ear a bit. You know, there was a there's an interesting talk. Um, I don't remember if it's Roy Schreider who's talking about it or if it's um, oh god, the guy who plays uh, ah! Richard Dreyfus. Yes, thank you. Oh, okay. I had a brain fart. Sorry. Uh, I don't remember if it's Roy Schreider or Richard Dreyfus is talking about it on the behind the scenes stuff. But uh, the guy who played Quinn got really fucking sick like, yeah he was stuck in like a chair on set and everything else and they were willing to stop production and he's like no we're we're gonna go we're gonna do wow. it and he would just sit in the chair looking absolutely miserable until they got the clapboard up and they you know <laughs> they did the clap and instantly he was in character did the scene flawlessly and as soon as they yelled cut, he was back in the chair again looking miserable. <laughs> hmm. And that's one thing. I like Robert Shaw so much as Quint in this film. Yes. But, awesome. But I don't know his, his film uh, history. Like, I know he's in the, the Take of Pelham 123, which I bought this year. But apart from that, maybe forced him from Navajo, I believe. But from Russia with Love. From Russia with Love, he's the bat. He's one of the guys hunting Bond in that. Really? Yep. Um, because I don't fight with him on the train. Yeah, he's in the sting. Like I kind of want to go back and watch his films because that guy just commands the screen when you see him. You know, um, so that's something I, I'd probably like to do as a next project. I don't want to say that, or <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I, I do. Like, there's some actors which I really adore certain films, but I don't know whatever else they've done. So it's, it'd be fun to go back and you know he'll always be Quint to me. But to see his other stuff, maybe he's a romantic lead in another movie, which to me seems weird, right? Right. But uh, he's got to be. Like, he's got 65, I think, uh, credits on IMDb. Um, 
Yeah, 65. He's got to have at least one romantic lead. And I kind of want to <laughs> see it just to see, hey, that's Quint, you know? Right, yeah. He's a well, ladies' man. <laughs> well, you know, you saw how well he uh, he well, he well was making out with uh, the sheriff's wife. <laughs> and the... Uh, um, and yeah, the... when, they're, when they're coming up and he's like, uh, you know, he's like, uh, he says something to Brody. Oh, when Brody about, and his wife know, are making see, out. Yeah. Yeah. yeah he's oh. like, I see you. We're, we're losing daylight. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then she just, she gets all disgusted and runs off. So, you know. Right. <laughs> what the, what the scoundrel he is, huh? He's great. He's one of the, he's one of those great movie characters, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Can be duplicated. Right. Yeah. I always right. like. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I've always liked the scene with uh, Brody trying to get his son out of the boat. Like he runs over and sees that his son sitting in the boat on the dock. And then the mom's like, oh, no, he's fine. He's just sitting there. And then she grabs the book and she's looking at the book and she's like, didn't you hear what your father said? I, I don't know why, but I thought I always think that's a funny scene. It makes me chuckle. But Well, another thing I really like talking about introductions to characters is Hooper's introduction where he arrives, you know, with his suit Absolutely. looking for Chief Brody. Yes. Yep. You yes, know? I love that. And, and he's then, trying to give the boaters advice, and they're all just like, piss off. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, well, I love that. Dreyfus is so good in this movie. He and, is. And, he's fantastic. And, absolutely. And I think one of my earliest memories is seeing him in this film. So when I see him in a different role, like in Poseidon or even Close Encounters, I kind of still see him as the bearded Hooper with uh, with the glasses and to me, he'll always be Hooper, no matter how many other films he do he does. Mm-hmm. I think he's retired now, but yeah, to me, that's my when I think of uh, Richard Dreyfus, I think of that movie. And then what about Bob? But primarily, <laughs> it's Jaws. So. Absolutely, yeah. Oh, God, he's I so great. What about Bob? Close Encounters, but I haven't watched Close Encounters nearly as much as I have Jaws. Just because Close Encounters sucks. It doesn't you suck, think? but it's slow. It's like two thousand one. Yeah. I have to like be highly caffeinated and in the right freaking mood to watch it. Otherwise, I'm just gonna pass out. And I need a big plate of mashed potatoes. Yeah, <laughs> like, I need a big plate of mashed potatoes. Well, and and really, the 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 only sequence I really ever completely and totally enjoy out of that is like towards the end where they're all talking with the music and the lights on the ship. But oh, I yeah, hated that, that scene. Oh, I love that scene. <laughs> I and hell, they use that for like the uh, the ad for sci-fi. It was just a black screen, and you just hear. Doo, 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 oh, doo, it's doo, iconic. You know, yeah, and then just. You know, they did the whole thing back and forth, and it's like, you know, on sci-fi. You didn't even have to give the title. It was just, boom, here it is. Yeah. <laughs> and then you get these two fucking idiots that are trying to use their wife's pot roast to uh, <laughs> our holiday roast yes. from the doctor catch trick. Like, yeah. they, they deserve everything they get, but- $10,000 uh, to buy a lot of pot roast. <laughs> 3000 3000 Oh, and $3,000 in 1975. I looked, that's equivalent to about $13,955 today. And that's US dollars, of course. Um, uh, so it's about 25000 Canadian. Uh, just about. Yep, exactly. Okay. But um, I don't know. I throw, I throw a pot roast in the ocean trying to catch a shark for that kind of money. Right. Yeah. Um, but in that scene, I, that scene's fine. I'm not a huge fan of it. Now, he was actually in that making of again. He talked about a scene that he didn't have the money for, which I thought would have been a cooler scene because it. Um, what if it was like they were sitting or we saw a shot of, um, I forget, like somebody who watches when the boats are coming and I forget what the hell he call them. And yeah, it, you're right. Okay. And <laughs> at the end of the dock, you see all of a sudden you see it all like this, the staffs, right? 
that's what they call the the mast, the staff, the, the mast. tops of the ship. Okay. All the of a sudden you see them like, and then the first one starts moving and then like the second one will start moving and then the third one starts moving and so on and so forth. And then you realize eventually that the shark is actually coming up and uh, under the boats and it gets the person watching. I think that would have been a, a much cooler scene if they were able to afford it and fit it in there. But instead they went with this one for, because that's what they could afford. So that and the shark kept breaking down. Right. So I think. You know, with all the mechanical issues they had, uh, it right. turned out really well. So you got oh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, well, the legend has it, and I and I say legend because there's been stuff back and forth saying, "Oh no, this didn't happen." But legend has it that before they started filming, Spielberg showed off the shark to Lucas, and they were playing with it, like on land, on you know, off off out of the water, and broke it <laughs> before filming. Oh man. <laughs> and that was that was the legend that you know but i don't know how accurate it is but you know the shark did break down a lot during filming they, you know they couldn't you know that's why a lot of the times they, they do the, the the barrel sequence they came up with a whole barrel idea because the shark wouldn't work right but i think that works like i i think the way they edited the film and the way they shot it i think it totally works so I think less of the shark is a just build attention in the creepiness yeah absolutely Knowing it's not a real shark, you know, when it does pass by and you see them out, it kind of obviously looks fake. Plus, the movie's like 35 plus years old. Oh, I but, uh, I don't think it obviously looked fake. I thought it looked really good still. I thought oh, it was I shocking it how good it looked. Good, but it, it obviously could look better. But uh, I think just the shots of like when they had the, the, the those those uh, those uh, big barrels going back and forth, I thought that was so cool. It just, you still don't know what, you know, you know it's a big shark. You don't know how big it is. And you really don't realize how big it is until like the very end. Which, right. Again, yeah. Good reveal. You don't reveal your monster in the beginning. It, you lose all the tension to it. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. One so, of the things um, I think that they absolutely fantastically do with this movie is the sound and the music. Um, they actually cue in the audience to the shark theme. You know, the dun 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 throughout the whole fucking movie from the opening and credits. From the yeah. opening credits on, when you hear that, the shark's there. You know, and, and they kind of build up to that. And then about like two thirds of the way through the movie, they drop that. So the shark just shows up out of fucking nowhere with no sound and anything. It's just, Rah! yeah, yep. <laughs> it's just the first time yeah. it shows up. Yeah. The first time it shows up when they're on the boat. I mean, that's it's jarring every time. It's like, whoa, shit, you know, and then and then obviously uh, Brody's reaction is just perfect. Yeah. Um, I think you're going to need a bigger boat. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Great line. Love that. Um, what else? So, yeah, we talked about um, Hooper's entrance in. Um, I, th- I Speaking of the sharks, I like the the shark that they found and they thought, you know, oh, yeah, we're celebrating because this is the tiger one. Shark. This is the shark, you know, the tiger shark. Mm-hmm. And yeah. uh, if that was a like fake shark, tiger shark, I thought that shark looked excellent. The only reason I realized it was not a real shark was because of the eyes. I thought the eyes looked a little bad. But otherwise, I thought it was a great-looking fake shark. I thought it was a real shark. I had no idea it was a fake shark. And frankly, it may have been a real shark. I don't know. I just assumed because I saw the eyes and they looked fake. But I don't know. I don't know for sure. Like a doll's eyes. How many many dead sharks have you seen? Huh? 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 Right. Not many. Exactly. (laughs) Touche. Uh, in that moment, though, I love Quince, his just smart ass floating past the group of people talking or taking the picture with the dead shark, just smirking, knowing that they don't have the right one. I love that moment. It's such a, a, another great character builder. 
and of course, Hooper's telling him the same thing, you know, and he's like, you know, I'm not gonna, yeah, I'm not gonna let you cut that thing open and the Kittner boys spill out on the dock. <laughs> right. Fair yeah. enough. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, when Alex is, the oh, go ahead, I'm sorry. Yeah, I do love the collection of things that had in its stomach as <laughs> he's pulling everything out. <laughs> I know. Well, how can a license plate actually, one, taste good, then feel good to go down the, through your whole digestive system? It will probably give me, like, gas or something. You They're know? like garbage That's- trucks, man, or whatever. Garbage disposals, whatever he called them. Yeah, swimming garbage disposals. Mm. Yep. That's going yeah, to hurt when you poop it out. A Turtle, little bit, I would imagine. Uh, well, they 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 don't. That just sits in there until it locks something and they die. Oh, uh, is that how it works? Yeah, that's that's what happens with like sea turtles and birds. They get enough plastic and shit, they just croak because they are because they can't crap. Oh yeah, that too. They croak so. because of they can't crap. Yes. <laughs> Thanks for crap. clarifying. <laughs> Good. Now that we all are in the same page with that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> when Alex's mother comes up and slaps Brody. It, she hits him with such a violent thud, and it's so well-deserved. Fortunately, though, Brody knows and admits that it's deserved, um, but it's such a sad moment, and it's to me, it's the first moment of true gravity in the, in the entire film, really, after outside maybe that first attack. Um, the first time that the, the true meaning of the shark attacks holds any weight. And that weight is carried over to the next scene really, really well with the little boy mimicking his dad's movements and and Brody asking for a kiss, you know, quote, because he needs one from his son. Just really well done, really well put together. I thought that was great. See, I think the slap is deserved, but it should have gone to the mayor and not Chief Brody. Yes. Yep. Right. But they don't know that, right? Because it's... No, they don't. But, you know, like... He's 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 the face because he's the chief, but technically it was the mayor's the mayor's say. Uh, I I just think you know because he's not an islander, that's why he took the brunt and the blame for the death of the boy. Because really, yeah, that could be the mayor's fault. Yeah, they do have a they have a, a scene where they talk about you know the mom or the wife asks you know when can I be called an islander, and the lady's like never you weren't born here. I I, I can't do an accent, <laughs> but you know never, what I'm saying. Yeah, don't do that. Yeah, don't <laughs> don't do don't, don't try. <laughs> See, that was always that was the worst the, part. That was a sexy lady, class. the Kitchener wife, not so much. But that lady, that was a dame. You cared She's about her dame. kids. Oh, 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 breed them. I don't care. <laughs> I'll have babies with her. Oh man. Um, and I like because that that mood, you know that that gravitas, it it holds all the way until Hooper gets there. And um, the wife says, so Martin tells me you're in sharks. And then they all, you know, they laugh and they kind of break. It's, it's, it's so smartly done. Well done. And I also liked how uh, the chief just poured half that bottle of wine in his glass. I <laughs> know. know. Like, I love that. Yeah, we're going to do this. I need to be properly lubricated myself, you know? <laughs> right. Yep, exactly. <laughs> and then j- just, just drive his face, his facial expression. I was like, oh, all right then. We're having that kind of night. But at the same time. How does someone go into somebody else's house and start eating off his plate? I'm like, is, he's not starving. Like, I didn't even notice like, he's got that. Money. Yeah, he's like, are you going to finish that? And starts eating off the chief's plate. Oh, <laughs> really? I totally missed the that. The fuck? You know? Yeah. Uh, I, I, just, I just gave it up as Hooper being Hooper. I, I imagine right. him being like that all the time. Well, you know? I suppose you have to be kind of eccentric to be in that field, as we all are in our interests, right? You know, we're really into yeah. it. So maybe social graces aren't that refined, you know, because you're so book smart or whatever. 
But right. just the fact that like a half even plate of food and just finishes it like a shark would. Mm. <laughs> like a shark would finish food. Just gonna place that Swallowing here and let anything. you guys deal with it. Yeah. That's right. Um, a, a little, uh, like a small little um, tidbit that I hadn't really caught until uh, this time through was the fact that Hooper was actually planning on leaving for an 18-month exploration the very next day. Um, and I thought it was very interesting that he decided to stay instead. And of course, they have this little, what, three-second scene where he's on the phone. And he's like, why would I go to, I, I wrote down what's where it was, but why would I go there when I have a great white right here? Like, he's Well, that's the thing. After he realized that the tiger shark was not the shark. You know, he's like, no, no, there's something else going on here. I can feel it in my uh, Canadian tuxedo, which is jeans and a jean jacket. Oh, is that what they call that? I like that. Yes. Give me a Canadian tuxedo. Canadian tuxedo. You're wearing jeans and a jean jacket. Why the fuck aren't you wearing a Canadian tuxedo then? I'm very disappointed. You're going to have to dress up for the next podcast. That's all I'm saying. It's summertime. I got a jean jacket. (laughs) You know what? Yes. Next video podcast we do, I will wear a Canadian tuxedo and I'll drink nothing but a bad beer. Note it. It's on on record now. It's on the internet. Yeah, that's right. All four of us oh. watching. Yeah, exactly. Um, I love, so this is, you were talking about, you know, that dialogue. And this is another moment where I really like um, when Hooper's like, we're going to go to the boat. And he's like, but I'm not drunk enough to drive the boat. Yes, you are. No, I won't. Yes, you will. I can't do that. Yes, you can. I just love that exchange between them. It's so funny. Um, and then they go on to have the, the exchange that you were talking about earlier, Ash. Um, they just have such great chemistry together. I really like them together. Yeah. Yeah. I think. I think if they hadn't had as good a chemistry, the movie would not be nearly as good as it Absolutely. The casting Definitely. is key for this film. Yep. Um, hey, oh, make note, Hooper was right. They all fucking died. I should listen to <laughs> Hooper. <laughs> but, so, uh, Dreyfus, as Hooper, we already talked about it, his his interaction with the mayor in that scene is is just so fantastic because it's basically how the audience is reacting. Well, at least I, me as the audience member, that's how I was reacting. I assume most people probably were. And it's just like, you you just want to take him, you just want to strangle him, or you just want to slap him. It's like, what are you doing? Like, just close the fucking beach, you know? It's at that point where you're just going to have to deal with the fact that you're not making money this weekend, you know? Um, See, to know as well how eccentric his character is, uh, uh, it reminded me also of the scene where he's disagreeing with Quint and he does the weird face system like a child. Um, or is it with Quint or was it the mayor? I think it's with Quint on the boat where he does like the, the, the facial, you know, when he does the... Oh, yes. Yeah, you're right. I know what you're talking is that about. With Quint yep. or is that the mayor? That's it's with Quint, right? Quint, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. And it just, I, I thought that looked so odd because it just shows how he looks like an adult. But sometimes it can act really juvenile. Right. You know? So I just I just found that interesting. I'm like, that character will actually go or stoop that low to act like a child because he's not getting his weight. But mm-hmm. Quint is doing the same thing too, which we'll find out later with the whole radio smash and like, I'm the alpha, you know, so. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so it's bad enough that this fucking mayor, he wants the beaches open. Okay, but even now, the beaches are open and they're filled with people. He has the gall to actually send uh, one of his friends or at least colleagues into the fucking water. Like, fuck him. Yeah. But he won't go in the water himself. No, no. He's got a suit. He's got a suit, man. You can't take a suit in the water. Maybe a Canadian suit, but. Canadian tuxedo. Tuxedo. Please. It's a tuxedo, my friend. I fucked up. That's all right. That's okay. I'll get it next time. We'll edit that out. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> oh man 
so then these these stupid fucking kids come swimming up with their with their fake dolphin, you know, their cardboard dolphin fin or dolphin, their cardboard shark fin, and um, that's ridiculous. But it sets it sets up for the the shark being in the pool or the the pond, I guess he calls it, incredibly well. Um, and I, that's a scary ass scene, seeing the shark right through the water with his giant mouth opening and and taking down the guy in the boat. I thought that was a really effective moment. And it's like you're you're playing, uh, you know, we're playing cry wolf with the kids playing the. I have to admit, it is kind of funny. But as an adult, no, that's not funny at all. Right? Yeah, exactly. I can understand the kids doing that. Like I, I, I know where they're going, you know. But then having a big shark in a small pond, it's like, oh, that's a kid's pond, you know. And then having the shark attack the creepy guy trying to help the kids with the boat. Like, oh, I know. Hey, <laughs> You want me to? You want, me, you, want to you want to hold my hips as I tie this knot for you for your boat? Hey guys! Like, okay, predator. You know you just got preyed upon by the shark. So I'm like, I'm kind of glad he died because right. he was Fuck totally a molester. Yeah, he was a molester with a boat. Yeah, absolutely. I, mean, I think you know your mom for some reason. You know, probably mm-hmm. threw the kid in the water first, but but uh, yeah, that was no, bad, actually. Oh, bad week for the family. <laughs> oh man. Um, I thought it was a really sad moment seeing the little brother sitting there crying over his sandcastle because his big brother is getting hurt. Um, hey, I no, no, reminded- it was not because his brother was hurt. It's because the sandcastle got wrecked. I mean, <laughs> come on. Let's be real. Oh, man. It actually it reminded me of a time. So when I was young, uh, my sister was young. She, my younger sister, she's four years younger than me. She had seizures when she was a baby. And uh, on one occasion, I remember vividly, I was probably five or six years old. She was having a seizure. We had to call 911. They came in to rescue her or whatever. And I was just like crying in the corner, holding like a piece of toast or something, just bawling. And the paramedic had to come over and make sure I was all right. Like, it was very reminiscent of that moment because it's just, you don't know what the fuck. You're a young kid. You don't know what's going on. It's scary. Um, so I, I like that. I thought that was, I, I like that they put that in there. It's such a small thing, but it makes perfect sense. Um, the mayor continues to be a piece of shit right until the very end, even having to be persuaded by Brody to bring on Quint after his own kids. He says, you know, my kids were on that beach where the last shark just attacked. I mean, I can't like this guy, Mark. I just, I can't. I, I don't know what to say. You know, as as a, as a former politician myself, um, you know, I have to stand by my earlier words. You know, I can't back down and show weakness, you know. It is. You will be weak. I agree. You know, uh, I, I do think, though, if I was in that situation, I probably wore the suit better and I would probably still get votes just upon my beauty. Oh, obviously. Um, obviously. That's why we got a viewer you know, tonight. Like you're campaigning. Yes. And we grow by one. Uh, <laughs> oh, man. Uh, yeah. No, uh, just, you I, know, it, it takes until it affects you personally for you to change your mind. And I, again, I also understand. I feel bad for the mayor, you know. Like I really not that I would actually donate to his campaign, but I just as a character, it's kind of tragic, you know. And uh, hopefully, we'll get redemption as we go along with this movie. We shall see. I love the you got city hands, Mister Hooper. It's such an awkward but wonderful scene. Um, again, it instant instantly builds the dynamic that these three are going to have, you know, with this voyage that they're going to take together. And so, I just again another nod to how well it's written. Uh, Quint, he. He just comes off as so damn loony in these scenes um, where they're like getting together. See, this is what happens. Now we know. Ash just fucking leaves us in the middle of the podcast. Yeah. What, what, now what we know. Think, what, what are your explanations <laughs> with the next scenes? He said, fuck y'all. I'm just taking off. I got things I got to do. Say something that'd be million dollars right now. 
<laughs> Don't take something only a thousand dollars US. That's awesome. But anyway, okay. um, and it's over. Okay. Um, <laughs> what are we talking about? Oh uh, God! Uh, these, how how goofy Quint is in these like where they're gathering shit together, um, and it, it's just you know I love how willing Cooper was to go along with it the whole time. I, I like that a lot. I don't think Goofy, I think he's overconfident. Like he is so sure he's going to bag that, that shark. He's never seen a shark that's that big. Um, so I think this is going to be like, I'm going to show you guys how it's really done. After you've let these other kids play with my shark, I'm going to reel it in. No problem. Like he was underprepared and over cocky. Right. Yeah. You're you know? right. You're right. Yeah. Um, well, and he, re- I think he realizes it, but he doesn't want to quit. Uh, oh no! Like you know, I I've never uh, you know. Oh, hang on, I never you know I never sunk one with four barrels on him. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that, that's the thing. You know, he's so confident, and then you know when he is defeated, he won't end the fight. Like they could have gotten back to shore and resupply or something, but no. Instead, you know, he bashes. He just, the- yeah, he destroys it. Right. Exactly. So I I think that you know he's. He's one of the manliest men in movies. Like, no, you know what I mean. Like, he's a man's man. Like, oh yeah, you know, like, no, he absolutely is. Yeah, you know. So that's, like, that's what he attempt. That's what he strives for. You know, that's who he is. Yeah. So he's a seaman. He doesn't. He doesn't. Yes, he he is a seaman. He is <laughs> a man's man seaman. Um, that's right. But he doesn't like. He doesn't be bested by an animal because he is the alpha predator, and. uh yeah, he gets he he gets it, but at the end, that's why the end is so is so good. But you know, it's like man can fell any beast, but it's the beast that actually fell the man. Man, right. it's 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 the nerd and the guy who doesn't like the water that beats the predator in its own park, you know, or its own house or whatever. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, what do you think, Ash? <laughs> yeah. Oh man! No, you can have the Kistner mom. She's available, <laughs> and she has a really big house now, three rooms. So if you're not watching this live, it's funny because Ash isn't there right now. He had to step away for a second, but anyway, um, I absolutely fucking love that shot, and I think I appreciate it more today because just a few weeks ago, Mondo released this shot basically as their cover art for their vinyl release. But the shot of the shark jaw hanging on the window. And then we see the boat heading out below. It's so fucking great. And yeah. it makes for an excellent vinyl cover. <laughs> Did you order that vinyl? No, I have an original score. Okay. Uh, yeah, so I didn't uh, – I'm not going to buy it. But yeah, this one's a two – it's a two LP uh, set. Mine's a single LP, but all the good songs on that one. So I don't need the actual other pieces. So Gotcha. And frankly, I, I love the – the music's great, but I don't know if I need it on vinyl. If I didn't have it? I'll be all over it. Yeah. But since I've got a version, like I've got an original press, well, I don't know if it's original pressing, but I've got an original release edition of it. That's good enough for me. Yeah. Like, absolutely. How often am I actually listening to it? Like, I'm glad I own it, but I think I've played it like four or five times tops. Yeah. You know, yeah. like the film makes the music, but it's like, it's like, you know, that sabotage music video, right? By the Beastie Boys. Mm-hmm. The music video is awesome because this, the video is with the song. But if you just play Sabotage without the video, I don't think it's as good. Like, it's still a good song, but the impact of the craziness of the visuals make that song even cooler. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And speaking of, of this is completely off track, but speaking of the music world, did yes. you see that uh, the lead singer from Linkin Park committed suicide today? 
I did see that. That was horrible, it's, man. It's weird. Apparently, it was really close to Chris Cornell from what I read online today. Yep, that's what I read too. And he and, killed himself uh, by hanging, and it was Cornell's birthday. So, Oh, was it Cornell's birthday? Yeah, that's what I read on the article oh, I was reading, yeah. I, I didn't know that. I yeah, had no so it's, idea. It's, it's horribly tragic. I hate that. I hate to hear that. Yeah, it is. But, um, so I think they do a really nice job of setting up the fact that they have compressed air on the boat. Uh, by having Brody like knock everything over and Hooper flipping out about out at him about it, I thought that was well done. Obviously, it's something that'll come into play later. Mm-hmm. But um, I, and then I'll just mention it again, even though we already talked about it. Just that scene, the you know you're going to need a bigger boat scene. It's so perfect because the way the shark appears is literally out of nowhere. It's startling every time you see it, and then the way Brody's just slowly walking backwards into the room where Quint is and just delivers that line. It, it's wonderful. It's so good because, you know, he's, he's getting the chum out of the bucket into the water. He's always chumming the water. Right. And then, you know, and then he's got that cigarette, like, ah, what the fuck am I doing this? You know, I'm a sheriff. I should be, you know, I should be sitting, you know, in the captain's chair. And then just him backing out with the cigarette, like, just stunned, like, whoa, we are way over our heads here. Yep. Absolutely right. It's so, it's just, it's wonderful. It's really good. Yeah. Um, I love how uh, Brody's wife calls right as the shark's getting there. <laughs> And the way Quinn handles it is just hilarious. In in a way, he verbally like just stink palmed her, like it's like get out of my face. We're busy right now, you know. <laughs> yeah, uh, he did it. He did it more eloquently than I thought he would be able to. Yeah, you're right. But he pretty much just like said, "Hey, we're busy," and then hung up on her. Yep, but exactly. In a nicer way, you know. The music. Uh, speaking of the music during that first shark encounter, I think is is really epic. And I really like that. It really just helps drive the momentum forward, which is so important, you know, in, in, in this, especially the second half, because things are almost, they're slower in the second half than they are in the first half. And it's specifically just because they're, you're in one boat. Exactly. You know, and that's just the way it is. But, and I think the music really helps d- drive it forward. I think that's important. Well, because like, there's some musical music where it's like, when they're like, you know, charging in a water looking for them. And then the music changes when the shark's around. But when they're like, you know, when they're just looking, it's like, ah, we're on the summer boat ride. You know, like, everything's cool. Don't worry about it. We have everything in control. And then like the shark shows up and like, that's where they lose control every time. Absolutely. What? Okay. So how much do you love or don't love? What do you think of? I'll say preface it that way. The, uh, the drunken scene where they're showing off all their battle scars. Oh, it's one of the best scenes in a movie. Okay. And now I've read different reports about his speech of the Indianapolis or the USS Indianapolis. Yeah. So I've read some places where it was scripted. Other articles saying that it was all off the cuff. I don't know what to believe anymore, hmm. uh, but it's one of my favorite scenes because one, they're all bonding together because there's, they were still at odds and now they found a common ground. Right. And then it just gets dark with the story of the, uh, the sailors in the water. But the way uh, Shaw does his performance, it's chilling. I did not pre- – back when I was a kid, that was the slow part of the movie, which I didn't like. Today, and like past 10 years or so, but the older I get – again, this is the scene where I think it's one of my favorite scenes in it hmm. because it's so chilling. It, to a point where you can actually almost hear the guy screaming in the water, shark, 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 the way he tells it. He's such a great storyteller. Um, I, I – really like that. I, uh, nah, I loved that scene. I, I think it's so good because they're all giggling and laughing and then they're silent and captivated. Now, it. Maybe it's because I'm still a kid, 
but (laughs) (laughs) no, I'm just kidding. Um, No, I like the scene. It's enjoyable. Absolutely. Seeing it, what, like less than two weeks apart, I didn't appreciate it as much on the second viewing. And it made me, I got to thinking, is, is it really necessary? Does this scene drive the plot forward at all? Yes. Okay. It, it drives Quinn's character forward. It drives the I characters forward, you, yes. I think you understand why he damages the uh, the boat. He cripples the boat because of his hatred for sharks. And like, if I can survive a week in the water with these sharks, I can best one single shark with my wits. So yep. I think it kind of, it, it kind of propels his his character and it shows the motivation behind really the hatred of sharks like his 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 little cabana back at uh, at the marina it's it's full of shark uh, shark bones and shark jaws and whatnot right like he loves dispatching these sharks because of he lost so many friends in the water during the second world war so i think that's that scene really cements the reason why he does what he does and how he is that's a good point yeah very very well stated absolutely yeah, um thank you I'll give myself a rose. <laughs> Man, it's a great fucking scene. Throw that's what I was gonna. I was gonna add. No, I, 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 like I said, I enjoy the scene absolutely. I just the second time watching it so close to the last time, I thought maybe how does this drive it forward? But I, you're right. I, I can, I can see that. It doesn't mean I, I love it more, but I can respect it more. And that's what yeah. I was gonna ask you, Ash. Um, what were your thoughts on that scene? Do you, you know, how much do you love it or don't you? Um, but obviously. Yeah, no, I, I, we're talking about the dinner scene, right? Where they're talking the, about the, the show off the scars. Yeah, the USS Indianapolis. Yeah, yeah. The, well, I love Hooper and and uh, and Quint comparing their scars, especially because it leaves Brody out, you know, and they're just trying to one up each other, and it's just this little great little game between the two of them, you know, and 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 it plays off on both characters a little bit, but I think it, it, it Shaw's delivery of that scene where he's talking about what happened. You know, we, we delivered the bomb, you know, the Hiroshima bomb, you know. Yeah. The bomb. yeah. Mm-hmm. As he's talking about it, every time I watch that movie, that scene right there gives me fucking goosebumps every time when he's talking about it. Because it's just, it's chilling to listen to, but to realize this character lived through this and he's, you know, he's divulging this to these two guys. And I'm betting he doesn't tell just anybody this story. And, and exactly. it's two people that he doesn't necessarily like, but he's it's it's a big character moment for Quint, actually, I think, because he's it you're, it shows that he's come to respect Brody and Hooper a bit, even if he doesn't like them. You know, they're out here doing what he does to try to make people safe. You know, even though it's more of a revenge thing for him, you know, he he's kind of embracing it. So, yeah, no, yeah, very, I agree. Good totally points, agree. yeah. Interesting. Yeah, no, it's it's definitely the, uh, an intelligent way to look at it. I absolutely see that there. Um, one thing I wish now, and maybe I'm wrong, but I, I don't think so. But please correct me if I'm wrong. Do we ever find out what actually happened to Brody? Like why he's Not so afraid of the water? And I felt like that was because the scene. I thought every the first time I was watching, I was like, "This is where it's coming. This is this is it." But I because I don't you know remember that as I don't remember every scene very well, you know. And I thought this is where it's coming. We're going to find out what happened to Brody, but it never came. And I thought, "Oh, that's strange." I don't well, think they, they were. I don't think they touch on it in Jaws two either. Uh, to be honest, um, I don't think he talks about it at all. Oh, Brody's because in Jaws two. I've only about, seen the first one. Yeah, I haven't seen Jaws two. Okay. 
Um, but I believe he mentions because, you know, they go, Brody, Brody, what's your scar? Or like, what do you have? So I think he mentions he has something, but we don't know what it is because he kind of is like, no, I can't, I can't tell. So it could be more mental than actual physical. Right. Maybe his partner died. Maybe, you know, we, we don't know. Right. Um, well, but he, he has something. He did. Well, the, the Roy Schreider did do a series of, uh, cop movies from the 70s. Referring to that. <laughs> they were pretty- <laughs> Pick Up is a very good film. That's one thing never, I've never even heard of it, honestly, let alone seen it. But. It's not bad. Isn't he? He's in one with Gene Hackman, too, isn't he? Uh, French Connection? Oh, wait. Oh. Yeah, that's the one, yeah, that's the one I was thinking of. Yeah. 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 I've never saw the second one, but the first one's really good. I love, did you guys notice that random ass shooting star that Spielberg puts in there? Um, like Brody's heads in the shot at the very end of that shark scene with the sharks attacking at night. And all of a sudden, there's just this shing shooting star going around. Did you guys see that? Yeah, I, I think that's ET. Oh, is that what it was? That makes sense. That makes sense. It's I didn't a, realize it was an interconnected universe. universe. It's so, like the Spielberg universe, like the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Makes sense. I like pretty that. much, <laughs> pretty much because these, that wasn't actually like a, a a glow from a spaceship. That's actually his finger. Oh, okay. <laughs> so I can see that. Yeah, he's looking for Drew. Yeah. <laughs> Not quite, not quite. Yeah. Uh, very good. Well, good. Now that that, that mystery is um, solved, let's move on to the next point here. Um, hey. <laughs> Quentin destroying the radio, I think, is, is such a great scene. And then the, Brody going berserk afterwards. But he, you know, he goes berserk, but only for like an instant. And then something happens. I, uh, the shark appears again or something. And it's just, boom, instant turn. You know, they have to focus on something else. Um, but it's great. Just a great scene. Oh, and the, the thing that gets me about it, too, is... If it, watching it now and after and when I watched Deadly as Catch, I always thought, you know, oh, you know, Quince is overreacting. No, I've seen the captains do stranger shit on Deadly as Catch. <laughs> <laughs> and that's just, and they're just catching crab, you know, it's just like, come on. <laughs> right. Funny enough, most captains of boats have crabs. I, I have read that stat. Yeah. We won't cite it, but we know it's a fact, so we'll move on. It's on Reddit. <laughs> And everything on Reddit's true. It's from what I've heard. Mm-hmm. You know? I think I read that on Reddit too. But either way, yeah, I was like, I was like, are uh, captains crabs? <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Um. So then there's kind of this long. There's this whole scene where the kind of the it's not. It's almost like I. It's like the sharks fucking with them, but it's not. It's just like the sharks there. Um. And I didn't write down a whole hell of a lot during that scene. During that moment, I thought it's an engaging. It's engaging, and I thought the actors do a fantastic job with it. But it, it does go on for a, quite a while, um, and there's just not there wasn't much to really make note of in it, I guess. Um, and the, the next note I have, just watching Quint go nuts, is is pretty fucking good though. Um, pushing the boat to it literally explodes. Um, I don't understand maybe why he did that. But I, we're not supposed to. It's just him, like, it's almost like a mental break at that point. You know, it's just what's happening. It's it's his logic. And I can't explain why. Uh, like, he could have powered down, let them float a bit, let the engine. At the same time, they were sinking. So maybe he couldn't let the engine uh, cool down just because maybe they would stop. They would start sinking faster. I don't know. I, I'm uh, I'm not a fisherman. I'm not a boat guy. So. But, yeah, but I like that the camera's on him the entire time. You know, he's looking here he's and the camera's up here, but... Like, he's like gritting yep. his teeth like, yeah, come on, you know? Almost like a jockey racing a horse. Yeah. Way, I love you know? I love the repeated motif of the song, too. 
Because he's he's saying farewell and adieu to you fairs. Well, he's gritting his teeth, gunning the motor. It's just yep. like, oh, yeah, he's fucking losing it. <laughs> <laughs> well, he doesn't want to admit defeat because he's the mighty Quint. Yep. I have to say, I find it absolutely disgusting when Brody takes the glasses that Hooper's been wearing for this entire time and sticks the end that's behind his ear right in his damn mouth as he's jumping into the shark tank. I'm like, oh, come on. That's just fucking gross, man. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe I only noticed it because I wear glasses, but I don't know. You do too, obviously, Mark, but I don't know. It's just yeah. gross to me. Uh, you won't find 27 contact lenses in my eye, that's for sure. Oh, my God. I heard about that too. That's fucking disgusting. It's <laughs> pretty gross. Can you imagine the eye smell? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Literally nauseating. <laughs> oh, Mark is referring to this this story that just was like broke yesterday about this woman who went to the eye doctor and it turned out she had 27 different contact lenses in her eye. I don't even fucking know how you do that. Like she puts one in and it's like you keep it in for a month and then she just fucking forgot and she just puts the next one in. Like would she Maybe think it she dissolved? Like what the fuck? I can imagine this infection. Oh, like oh, the, whatever's uh, growing between both lenses. Ah. People are yeah. weird. Anyways, anyway, yeah. <laughs> um, speaking of gross, I didn't mention it earlier, but there's this moment quite a, quite a bit earlier where Quint is looking through a book of shark attacks. Oh, okay. And you turn the page and you see this like woman or this guy who has like it's like his rib is out. You mean Brody, right? Yeah. What did I say, Quint? I meant Brody. I apologize. Yeah. It's like his ribs are like gone right here. You know, like this stomach like caves in and then he turns the page and it's just this thigh and it's just missing right here in the thigh. And I'm like, oh my God, it's so gross. And it has to, I, I imagine it's a real shark attack uh, from a book oh, wow. that they were, you know, had. Oh, so disgusting. It, it, it's Speaking of gross scenes, because I watched all these movies in Winnipeg while I was on vacation, and I watched Jaws with my dad, just because I'm like, ah, let's, I'm going to watch this, my dad, and not Malibu Express. You did a good choice, solid choice, yeah. yeah. Uh, a a anyway, little, a I little mean, uh, weak, uh, afraid. What's the oh, word I'm totally, trying to, a scared totally choice. Afraid. Totally but afraid, totally scared. Choice. But you know what, I, I live in my shame. I will. Now, <laughs> I know. I watch with your dad's, but not not mine. Anyways. Um, <laughs> That's fucking amazing, weird. Like, his scene in the film is when uh, Hooper's underwater checking out that wreck, and that head bumps out of the uh, of the port uh, the port window. Yeah, like, that is a scary scene because don't really expect again seventy seven. That's kind of gory, you know. It, Absolutely, it's, it's, it's not H. Uh, G. Lewis gory, but it's just you're not expecting. That's like a jump scare, uh, and it is because they have the music cue right behind it too. Which yeah. is like the only time they, they go for a – I feel like it's a legit jump scare with the music cue and how the whole thing happens. Yeah. like So, so um, to, to me, like that's probably one of the scariest scenes in the film because it's just so unexpected. Right. Yeah, definitely. Um, just to, to make notes, kind of a side note, um, we do have a uh, request from Brent. Uh, it says, if Mark ever wears a Canadian tuxedo, please wear a uh, tuxedo bow tie print t-shirt under your denim jacket. Well, yeah, I'm not going to wear my denim jacket with no shirt on. Obviously, I'm going to wear a t-shirt. Oh, I'm a little That's disappointed. Do. That's what you do. You yeah, know? you, like, you got to have that bow tie t-shirt. Oh, bow tie t-shirt. Oh, you yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Oh, I don't have one. But if you want to send one to uh, Cinefessions, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll wear it. There you go. We'll add a P.O. box <laughs> yeah. at some point so you guys can uh, send us bow tie t-shirts. Oh, I love gifts. Um, Absolutely. Or, or I'll say uh, a gif, uh, not 
animated gifts, but actual like physical gifts, physical gifts. That's why I love my birthday so much in Christmas. It's great. Um, but yes, you're right. It should be a printed tuxedo shirt <laughs> black with like a with a gray silhouette of the of the of the bow tie, but on a black bow tie. Perfect. Black denim. Oh. Getting I'm, I'm getting a little. I, I was just gonna say I'm getting a little hard just thinking about it. But yeah, I was already excited me. for this podcast. Now my my veins gonna bust. Yeah, look how look how excited Ash is just thinking about it. Yeah, look at that face. So He's happy. Excited. Yeah, <laughs> so I'm talking about show the Philippines. Oh, sorry. Oh Ramped man, to get it out of my system before it happens. Absolutely. Oh. <laughs> um. I, I another scene I really love. Speaking of kind of these creepier moments, is uh, yeah. I thought it was damn creepy when the shark sneaks up on Hooper from behind when he's in the underwater cage. Um, I thought there was just genuine tension and uh, just truly scary moment. I really like that. You just know that cage is not going to hold against that jaws, right? I think at that point, does it have three barrels in it already? Is it, uh, is it shark to- should yeah. Right, so like, there's no, like that cage is not gonna hold that monster of a meat, of an animal. There's no way. So you're just expecting something's gonna happen. Then when it does, it's still a holy shit moment. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and Quint's death scene is fantastic. Um, it's definitely obviously the most brutal aspect of the entire film, I'd say. Um, and and I already mentioned the fact that I was wrong because I wrote down it was the first attack is the worst, but this one is is much worse. Um, and I love it. It's it's just so well done. The effects are great. And you get to see, like, just just the idea of the sh- of the shark really destroying the boat, and it's trying to get inside. Yes, know? yeah, it's, it's it's so cool, you know. And thank God uh, Bruce worked that day, right? Just because uh, you know they needed that shot, and you know Shaw for the thespian that he is really sold it, you know, yep. like. <sighs> Just looking at his IMDb right now, like there's so many classics that I haven't almost seen yet, and that he makes like this is really a, it is a monster movie, it really is. Mm-hmm. To see a guy of that caliber do a film like that, it's kind of cool. It's like Anthony Hopkins doing a Transformers movie, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> Has the only, same effect. Only I think Shaw took Pretty it a much. little more seriously than Anthony Hopkins did. I mean, come on. <laughs> oh, come on! I love him in that movie. I think that was in my summary of how much I love that movie was be- was he was one of the main reasons. <laughs> a quick sidebar that we forgot to mention on Transformers 5. Oh, fuck. We, See, we dis- fucked up. I know. We didn't discuss the fucking military making deals with the Decepticons, did we? We didn't even talk about that. Like, what, oh, what, no, what? we didn't. You're right. What, I know what, what you're talking about. It took me a second. But yeah, what, what you're right. Government? Why would your country do that? It makes no sense. Anyways. Assholes. Jaws. But still, I had I had to bring it up because yeah, uh, think, th- think about who's president right now. I mean, come on, <laughs> it makes come total on. sense. Then it makes total sense. Yeah, yeah it's a new president, new new era of films. Yeah, it makes it works. Disregard um, my punishment. Perfect. Thank you. It is not time for bed, Fitbit. Shut up. <laughs> oh man, um, a few more steps. The, right. Yeah. Not a ten k yet. The um the shot of the boat going down. I love this scene. The shot of the boat going down with Brody. He's like laying on the mast with the gun. Um, I yeah. I love that scene. Just trying to take the, you know, show me the, show me the tank, show me the tank, show me the. I think that's a, a great moment. 
And then he goes yippee ki motherfucker. And then the <laughs> shark explodes, which I heard that. Cool. I heard yeah. that. I missed that the first like five or six times I've seen the movie, but I did catch it this last time. <laughs> it, it is funny though, because I didn't realize how in the water he was at that point. Like this oh, was like yeah. the last possible second. Like he was using the mask pretty much as a flotation device at that point. Right. And yep, exactly. I always thought he was higher up and the and the boat was kind of like I see it for some stupid reason. I also thought that, you know, Quinn dies and he was like in the cabin aiming down at at the shark, but no, it's still time passes. Shark goes out, kind of circles, and he just waits for the mouth to open in practically in the water. And uh, it is, yeah, I think it is in the water. Yeah, I, I just. But my recollection is was like the same as yours. Um, yeah. I thought he, I, I have the image of him standing in exactly what you said. That exact image. I don't know why, but that's you know when I thought about it before watching it twice recently. That's the, the image I had. Yeah. Yeah, I, I always, I always, when I remember it, I always imagine him further out of the water than when he gets in it. But yeah, absolutely. But um, and so man, the 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 fucking the shark gets killed. Hooper pops back up from underwater, and the movie ends. And that's it. Pretty abrupt, but at the same time, uh, nothing else is really needed. The threat is no. neutralized. That's that. But it's very quick ending. Well, now we just hope that they can like kick their their little feet back to shore. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, so, um, anything else that you guys need to add about Jaws, or should we move on to our final thoughts? I'm good. I'm good. Perfect. Well, let's move on to our final thoughts and our star rating. So, Ash, what is uh, what's your final thoughts and your star rating for Jaws? Jaws is is a classic. I think it's one of those ones you can go back to over and over again, and I'm never bored watching it. Um, it's just a good time. Spielberg, you know, nailed it. Uh, the editing, you know, and the sound and visuals are just spot on. I mean, it's managed to age pretty freaking good for a movie made in 75. Uh, looks amazing. Sounds amazing. The acting is fantastic. The cast is fantastic. The script was great. And it's just a lot of fun. Uh, I give it four out of four. Excellent. Fantastic. All right. Mark, what about you? What's your star rating and your final thoughts for Jaws? I really don't know what to say more on the film. I think, again, it's the perfect summer film. Um, it came in my life at the right time. Uh, I think I think summer, I think Jaws. I think good thoughts. I think great acting. I think scary monster. Like That movie is so powerful. People were afraid to get in the water in 75. Like beach, uh, uh, beach attendance apparently went down. It plummeted. That's how much this movie became a phenomenon, and it really got this summer industry going. Um, so I, I think it's it's is it a perfect film? It's perfect for me. I, I think there's nothing I would change that movie. Um, I wouldn't remake this film, which I'm surprised it's never been remade. With all these great films that shouldn't be remade, have been remade. Um, it should be remade. Should be left as as is. I don't need special uh, special scenes spliced back in. Like to me, it's a perfect film. Um, I give it four to four stars as well. Fantastic. So, yeah. So for myself, Jaws. It's it's a great movie that holds up really well over thirty years after its original release. It's not my favorite film by any stretch, but I definitely appreciate it for what it is. Um, frankly, once the three guys get out on the water, the movie slows down a bit uh, more than I wish it did, and. I think I enjoy the first half more than the second half. 
excluding maybe the very ending, which is the best part of the film. Um, that said, there are still some great moments with the men on the water, and all three are just wonderful characters played by even better actors. Um, the screenwriting's really great, and almost every character that's introduced is given some lines of dialogue or moments of action that immediately define who they are. And we're able to instantly know if it's a character we'll want to spend more time with or not, which is, you know, that's the mark of some excellent character writing. And Benchley and Gottlieb really nail it. And as much as I like the music in this, especially the main Jaws theme that the whole world knows, um, there are moments when it turns, I feel at least, from this epic thriller music to uh, something that feels like it should be in like a teenage adventure film like The Goonies or something similar. And it just feels almost out of place at points. Still, though, the main theme is iconic for a very deserving reason, and I love that. Um, the special effects work is really fantastic, and Bruce, the shark, is it still looks genuinely scary today. Um, the, and it, it's because of the way Spielberg films it. It's because of the way he does it. Um, Jaws is a great movie that deserves the high praise that's tossed its way, even if it isn't perfect, you know, to me. Um, but... And I sat here and and debated this for a very long time because I figured if I gave this four stars, this would be the second film in the Cinefessions Hall of Fame. But I can't I can't do it. I'm giving Jaws three and a half out of four stars. You motherfucker! Oh. <laughs> Good. Ash finally knows how we feel about Inside. Finally. <laughs> oh man. So. Perfect. Two four stars and a three and a half star. That's excellent. So we still only have one film in the Cinefessions Hall of Fame. But hey, we got Malibu Express coming up next. Maybe that shit will change. <laughs> All oh, right. God. Let me. <laughs> oh, I got stuck in my thing here. Let me. Oh, there you go. We're good again. We're good again. All right. So let's move over to 1985's Malibu Express. Now, again, there will be spoilers for Malibu Express if that matters to you. So, Malibu Express from 1985, written and directed by Andy Sedaris. It has an IMDb score of 4.2 out of the only 1,158 votes, so it's quite a significant number less than our last film. It does not have a Metacritic score. It uh, does not have a tomato meter, but it does have an audience score on Rotten Tomatoes of 37%. And according to my research, it had a $500,000 budget. Uh, but I could not find anything out about the... What? What? Oh, sorry. <laughs> yep, 500000 That high. Okay, I just realized what you said. But yeah. Um, but I could not find anything out about its gross, so I don't know how much it's made. Um, but it is selling right now in a 12-film Andy Sedaris set. Go ahead and hold that up. Let me uh, make sure this gets on. Girls, Guns, and G-Strings. 12-film set from Andy Sedaris. A whopping... Like five ninety nine on Amazon dot com right now. It's ridiculously cheap. And that totally much? Oh, <laughs> absolutely worth it. That's right. And, and I think it's perfect because I feel like two of its most uh, of his most famous films. I could be wrong from my little knowledge of Sedaris, but um, it's on the same disc as uh, Hard Ticket to Hawaii, which I think is another which one of his I very popular ones. Oh, nice. Oh, oh, Mark. Yeah. Uh, go ahead and, and scoot over a little bit. Let's show off that bad boy. Look at that. An original Malibu Express poster windsheet. Um, I never thought I'd own this. I ever. love how fucking ripped he is. <laughs> oh, dude, well, he's pretty ripped in the movie. Oh, I know, and, but uh, that really, I, like, I like the that. Act, uh, the, uh, the painter 
or the the designer did not really um, uh, embellish anything. That's how good this movie is. A little civil dining and a little um, uh, what's her name? Uh, she's she passed away a few years ago. Um, the other girl, she that's Linda Wiesmeyer. She plays June Knockers with a with an H uh, with an H. Yes. Yeah. Um, oh boy, for those who have not seen this yet. You're in for a titty treat. Absolutely. So, Mark, talk about your history with the Malibu Express. Uh, well, I started seeing this movie way too young. This is before the internet. So, um, <laughs> again, uh, like Jaws, I was at my uncle's and I saw this uh, early one morning on his uh, C-band dish because uh, Cinemax had East and West feeds. So, I get up at 6 in the morning it's really watching the three or two o'clock in the morning film on the West Coast. Um, so now I didn't see the whole film, but I saw enough to say, Hey, I like this movie. And how, <laughs> well, okay. So, so weird tidbit. I started collecting comics in my teens. You know, when image comics started back in like 91, 92. So I started collecting comics back in the day. So like the, uh, like Cody in the movie. I could then sell my comics 40 years later and then live on a boat. So this whole idea of me living on a boat wasn't from Miami <laughs> Vice. It was actually from Malibu Express. That's fucking awesome. I know. Of course, these comics uh, were so overprinted, they're worth sweet fuck all. So I might be able to afford an anchor <laughs> and not a whole boat. Or maybe just the train facade that will allow me to get to my boat. But yeah, uh, so I'll be honest with you. Um, I hadn't seen, I had only seen part of the film. And then I bought, uh, this. I'm looking at my screen here. I bought this not knowing that Malibu Express was one called Malibu Express and two that it was an Andy Sadar's film. So this is the first film in the collection. So it's, it's film, uh, it's film one on side one of four discs. So I popped this in for the first time. And I, I, I bought this just recently because I actually lost my Malibu Express disc. This is the second version or second copy I buy. Um, the first copy I bought probably a good oh, six, seven years ago, even maybe longer than that. And I put the first film in because I'm like OCD. I'm going to start with the first film and work my way through. Never have because I ran out of loop, Kent. But um, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Oh. Uh, not <laughs> but, um, so I popped this in and I'm like, holy fuck, this sounds familiar. And then I see that scene where he's actually going back to his yacht and the train fa uh, facade is there. I'm like, holy fuck, this is that movie that made me want to buy comics back in the day to sell to buy a boat later on in life. I was blown away. So I saw the movie That's Amazing. when I was maybe 13, 14. I would say maybe 15 at the latest. Again, pre-internet, folks. You have to understand this. Right, and right. I watched it fully maybe six or seven years ago. And I fucking love. Anyways, uh, this is not my final rant, but uh, or my final thing. But uh, yeah, I was blown away that I actually owned a copy of this because I had no clue. I knew it existed because that's my my comic fascination, but I didn't know I could actually buy it. I didn't know anything about it. So this is like a lost treasure for me. And uh, again, if this is only six dollars on Amazon, there is well, one. I want this on fucking Blu-ray. Give. Vinegar Syndrome. Get yep, get this. Exactly. Scan it in 2K. I'll fuck scan it in 4K 3D. Uh, I'll fucking watch it, right? But scan this in 2K Blu-ray. I'll suck a dick forever. I'm just saying right now. I'll, I'll, I'll fucking suck a dick. 
There it I is. A beer. YouTube but, proposition. There you go. Oh, so dick. But uh, yeah, uh, this deserves uh, a greater treatment than it has. It shouldn't be bargain bin. This is sexploitation at its finest. And I still haven't seen all these movies yet, which I will get to eventually. Um, but a lot of these films, like uh, Picasso Trigger and uh, Heart Attack to Hawaii and Savage Beach and D- Day of the Warrior, okay? I remember seeing this later on in life when I had direct TV. This has Marcus Bagwell, Buff the Stuff. He's in what? one of these films where he plays a wrestler with a Native American gimmick and he's the head kingpin of, uh, of some gang. And his finisher, he kills someone with a pal driver. Oh, amazing. How fucking cool is that? Like, yeah. And, oh, yeah. It's, it's just the whole, the movies I've seen, and I can probably say they're all the same. They're fucking amazing. Julie Strain, after her penthouse pet uh, of the year in 92, 93, like just gorgeous. It's the reason why I enjoy the women that I enjoy is because of Andy Sedaris. Uh, unfortunately, he's is lethal ladies in that. Yeah, uh, yeah, I believe so. Uh, well, the lethal ladies series are in part of these films, so uh, I know that uh, Picasso Trigger has all of these sexy uh, villains and these sexy spies, and the it's it, it's softcore, so it's not hardcore porn, right? It, right it, it's right. softcore exploitation, and uh, this is right up my alley. I love this stuff. So that is my. History. Uh, I'm going to grab myself another beer because I think I'll need it. So uh, I'll be right back. Fantastic. And what about you, Ash? What's your history with uh, Malibu Express? Uh, yeah, that's about it. <laughs> First time watching it? Yeah. Me as well. Um, I actually own that same exact set that uh, Mark was showing off there um, it, because it was so cheap. I think I bought it for like 10 bucks or something, which now it feels like I got ripped off because it's six bucks now. But um, it's definitely, uh, you know, if you're into that type of film, definitely worth the uh, $6, the measly $6 that they're asking for it for the 12 films. So definitely worth checking that out. Um, I do, I have to, I have to tell Mark when he gets back, because I have a story. So, uh, you know, we'll. Get into that, and we'll we'll hold on for one second and wait for him to uh, to step back in. But I'm excited to talk about it. I can tell you are too, Ash. <laughs> Absolutely. I don't think I've ever heard Mark so emphatically like welcome a film before. So introduce a film before. So I'm really happy about that. Mark, we had to wait for you because I got to tell you the story. So like we are brothers, man, like you were saying earlier, because I remember specifically being at my uncle's house watching or, you know, I would spend the night there all like all the time. And it was during the weekend. I am at, at his house, wake up, sleeping on his couch. And he had like Cinemax on or Showtime on in the middle of the night. And so I wake up, I'm like, I don't know, somewhere between like 9, 10, 11, somewhere around there probably wake up and there is just porn on the screen. And that's like the first time I ever saw anything like that. Uh, now it wasn't Malibu Express and it wasn't, I frankly, it wasn't even softcore. It was just like porn, you know, on the fucking Cinemax or whatever the hell station it was. I don't even know. But, uh, so that's like my, the first time I ever saw something like this. So it just reminded me of your story and man, oh man, there it is. Brothers, you know, absolutely. <laughs> well, that cracks my shit up anyway. All right, so let's dive in here. Um, I love that the introduction, so literally the opening credits, 
are this this woman with these huge ass 80s fingernails typing on this old ass computer and and she's literally typing up the credits and then just because she gets one of those she licks the lips and it's really that scene has nothing to do with the movie like there's no computer shit there's no it's just a cheap way to get your credits done yep and it's in it's at the end of the movie too yep it's amazing um, so one of the things I thought was so strange with this movie, and it starts right from the beginning here, was this like banjo and bluegrass country music uh, soundtrack that Sitaris chooses for this movie called Malibu Express. I thought that was so fucking weird. I love the music in this film. I thought it was so like, it, 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 it's, it's hokey because he is, he, he wants to be a cowboy and he wants to be, um, Dirty Harry. But but he's an amalgamation of both. But he's like he's good at his job, but he's not good with the violence because he is a lover, not a fighter. You know, and just, yeah, I, I don't he know. Can't hit a moving target to save his life. He cannot, which is a running joke during the whole film, which I'm a big mm-hmm. fan of. Um, I just thought, like, for a sexploitation film, I thought the soundtrack was actually really decent, and it kind of goes with his character because he's. He's easygoing. He's, you know, like, he doesn't sweat the small stuff, you know? He's he's a guy that you want to go have a beer with him, and you wouldn't be pissed if he banged your, your wife after. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> he's one oh, of those man. guys. How That's an interesting way to describe someone. That's interesting, you, yeah. You, you can't be mad with Cody. Like, uh, Cody Abilene. Like, uh, uh, yeah. It's, it's just, it's so good. It's just, people have, you have to watch this thing. All I know is if yeah. Bridget doesn't buy me a cow-skinned briefcase by this time next month, I'm filing my divorce <laughs> paperwork. All right? Because I fucking need that shit. It's like the suit in the last movie. I need this. And something else here, which is almost sacrilege, but his first car is a red DeLorean. Yes, I know. I love that. I've never seen a DeLorean other than Gunmetal Great or something. Right, yeah. To see a red DeLorean, it looks like a Ferrari. And maybe this know, was a compromise does. to be a Ferrari in this movie, but watching it now, I'm like, who would, who would disgrace Delorean with a red paint job? It doesn't. <laughs> it seems wrong, you know. And really, the only reason why I realized, well, one because of the doors that open like this, but as well as just the DMC in the front, because it kind of looks like a, just like a, a a Ferrari or a Fiera or something. But yeah, right. it's a red Delorean. It seems it's so ugly, but still kind of cool at the same time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I knew nothing of this man other than the fact that he had a mustache and a cow-skinned briefcase, and I could immediately guess that he was going to choose the moving target over the stationary target when he was asked. <laughs> oh, and he just yeah. shows up once a week, destroys this guy's shooting range, and then leaves? Like, God bless this guy. God bless you, Cody. Right, Cody? Right? Yeah, Cody, I believe. Mr. Cody, Cody, I believe. And the thing is, is like he, he has the biggest gun in the world. For no reason whatsoever, because he can't even aim. It's too much gun for him, you know? And, like, I'm trying to think, he doesn't even shoot anybody in the movie until the end, right? Yeah, no, I don't think he hits anything. Mm -mm. He shoots at people during that one scene, but that's it. Yeah, he he shoots, but he always misses. I don't even think he actually kills anybody in the whole movie. I don't think so. No, I don't think so either. Yeah, interesting. It's his his lady friend, his cop lady friend. Right, yep, exactly. And boy, oh. does he have lady friends? Oh, yeah, he does. Yes, he does. Um, 
Uh, okay, so right in the beginning, you, the race car girl, I don't know what her name is, but uh, the girl. Hey, that's Knockers. That's June Knockers. Or you mean oh, the actual right. actress? No, no, uh, Knockers. That's a, that's, June Knockers. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's Linda Weissmeyer. Okay. The guy, when she pulls up in the car, he goes, This car's the tits. And then <laughs> seconds later, we get the tits. And I was like, Yes, Sidaris. Oh. And, and and what I enjoy about this is this is eighty five and there is nothing that's enhanced. This is all do drop perfection. <laughs> you know, for those who like that kind of thing, it's the Mona Lisa of sexploitation. I it was, just it was right up my alley. It was good. I did enjoy all the nudity and the fun there. Absolutely, and, and that's the thing. It's it's a cheesecake nudity. You know. Like, mm-hmm. it does go a bit uh, 90s Skinamax later on, but a lot of it is just, it's made to be, it's, it's so far-fetched and out of this world that it, it's funny, you know? Yeah. Like, like you've, you've got her, you got June, plus then you got the, for some reason, he uses this paging service to call the people, and she just gets turned on, starts touching herself. Like, <laughs> so fucking it, it's weird. It's so absurd. It just, it, it, you just have to laugh, you know? And and for those who do wank, but that's, you know, whatever, that's your bro. Right. You do what you got to do. You do you. Yeah. I do me. You, you you put the film. You do what you want to do with the film. Absolutely right. Um, some of the lines are really, I thought, pretty damn witty. So um, they, he asks, uh, I forget, he's talking with like the uh, like the president of like the boat club or whatever the hell it is. And he's talking about yeah. how his dad had the all-girl crew. And he's like, all-girl crew probably just got blown off course. I was like, yes, that's gold, <laughs> man. Ash, yeah, you, you, you know you have to love that shit. Fuck yeah, it's great. This script, again, for a sexploitation film, is one of the better scripts I've read. Uh, I've read. I haven't read any of them, but I've I've seen in a long time. It's cheese without being like drippy cheese, you know. Yeah, it does have some uh, some really good moments of of dialogue. Um, oh sure, Ash. Any dialogue that stands out to you that you enjoyed at all? And there were some. I honestly, just having watched it. The one time I I don't remember much. <laughs> so nothing that stood out to you well this, enough, yeah. Yeah, this week's been a blur. I mean, there was some the there was some funny lines. I did think it was actually kind of funny. It's just I don't know. Yeah, right. Nothing stood out to me. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so his mom died because a train ran off the track and killed her a year ago. So they painted a picture of a train to put on the front of their boat. That well, the seems- thing is, uh, she was afraid of water or some stupid, if I remember correctly, afraid of water or, or afraid of boats or something. So they painted this this train thing so that she oh. would feel more at home, I guess. And then she okay. passes away and decided to keep it up. Oh, gosh. Gotcha. If I okay. recall, again, I was watching this, you know, every like kind of covertly at my parents' place. Right. <laughs> like, you know, so... I was. I had to watch it in the two or three segments, and I haven't had a chance to rewatch anything before the podcast. So, yeah, no, that's um, fine. Dream best, best my recollection. Right, but yeah, it was. It was to. It was at the time to help the mom, and then to honor the mom after she passed. I mean, all I know is I need to find me a boat. If every so often two women like that just randomly show up, I need a boat. Oh my god! Yes, yes, I need a boat too. That's why I bought the comics. So I'm halfway there. Exactly. I, I, <laughs> that's right. I have the anchor. So no, actually, I'm like one thirty second there. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, that shower I, scene. Oh my god, oh. they're just gorgeous. I think they're probably. I think like the most attractive women in the in the film. Well, there were a lot I of really play, like playmates in this movie. Oh really? Uh, and uh, oh yeah, yeah. Like even the poster says uh, Playboy playmates. Yeah, there's a whole bunch of them. Um, wow. But uh, 
I didn't realize, like, they did a recap at the end of all the girls he's been with. And mm-hmm. I didn't notice the bush in the first time that they had a shower scene. Maybe they cropped it or something. But I noticed it at the end. So I can't recall. I'll, I'll, I'll have to check. But, yeah, uh, you do that research for everybody. Yeah, That'd be great. I, I'm going to do some investigating my own later. Yes. Um, yeah, so uh, I didn't notice her for full frontal. But really, it's just you know, pubic hair. So who cares, right? But uh, yeah, uh, there is not one person here that is not desirable. Like, you know. Um, yep. They're they're all they're all goddesses in my book. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and speaking of of uh unnecessary but fucking fantastic, um Vanessa's outfit when Cody arrives. So first she's wearing that robe, which okay, great. And then even better, the fact that she goes out in that red dress that he bought her. <laughs> they sure don't make dresses like they used to, I'll tell you that much. Oh you mean uh, Contesta? Yes. What did I call yeah. her? Oh, I uh, called Vanessa. her Vanessa. But yeah, Contesta. Okay. But that's Sybil Danning. Yes. Yeah. And she's fantastic. She, she was in Toronto last year for a convention, which I couldn't make. But I wanted to go just to get this poster site because Sybil Danning is hot. And like, yeah. you you know what? You, you, you see a lot of side boob with her in this movie. Mm-hmm. You don't see any full frontal with her or any, like, you don't see any nipples in this movie. Oh, really? But, I didn't even notice because you see so much from her. I didn't even notice that we didn't see full, I guess. At least I didn't I didn't notice nipple the last time I watched it. And I've only seen this movie a few times. Um but if you do want to see her full front or at least fully naked, uh you can watch Werewolf 2, my sister is a werewolf. She's the main baddie. Howling uh, 2? Howling 2. Yeah, did I say okay. Howling 2? Yeah. Werewolf yeah. Howling- too, but yeah. Oh, did I say werewolf too? I'm sorry. Yeah, Howling 2, your sister's a werewolf. Uh she's the main werewolf bitch in this movie. Okay. And uh it's awesome just to have her in the movie with Christopher Lee as a hunter. And then you've got this kick-ass new wave band that has a song about the movie. You know, it's, <laughs> uh, it, it's so good. It's oh, it's, it's, awesome. it's a bad film. Red Brown's in it. The guy who played Captain America back in the nineties. It's a it's oh, a man. It's like one of those good bad films. Like I own it on DVD. I probably would double dip on Blu-ray because again, Civil Dining. Um, Isn't that one? Yeah, didn't Scream oh, release that one as well? I think they recently they, did. Maybe I just came into some cash. I'm waiting for their next sale now to happen, so I can uh, kind of fill some gaps into my collection. I, there's a but, line uh, I want to I want to be able to say. I just came into some cash. <laughs> That's one I need to take with me and just I hope I can say that one day. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, I just whacked somebody off and uh, I got some money. Wouldn't that be a fucking story? Put some movies. Yeah, Turns out you're this like massive hitman. Who knew? Oh, man. <laughs> yeah, don't piss me off. You're gonna give this four stars, right? <laughs> four stars? That's right. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. That's what I thought. Oh um, man. But yeah, no, uh, Civil Dining is so gorgeous in this movie. Like, And what, what's so – yeah, yeah. And what's so great is he meets her. He brings her the gift. You literally go to dinner. You see like – they take a sip and then they're already fucking. It's like, holy shit. That was quick, man. God bless the I – I wish I was around in the 80s just to be able to fuck that fast. Like that's amazing. But the first thing, she is his potential client. And he goes and buys her a dress. He doesn't know her previously to this. This is the first I time know. they meet. You know? So he goes to meet her as a client, takes her for dinner, winds her, dines her, 69s her, and also lands a contract. That, well, my friend, is a good night. You're just a born fuck. When you're a born player, you're a born player. And it's just you oh. just got to keep on playing. When you're an Abilene, you're going to act like an Abilene. You know? Absolutely. <laughs> you're absolutely right. 
I'm going to name my kid Albalina if I have a kid. <laughs> Albalina do. Best of both worlds. Oh, I like it. Oh. Very good. It comes out, it comes out with a French tuxedo, or Canadian tuxedo. It's like weird. Did you wear that in the womb? Yeah, I like you better have that video camera there. That's all I know. I got to see that shit. Oh, but when he crowns, he's going to crown. Like, <gasps> oh, uh, it's he, so fucking gross. He's, he's got a Jets hat on. That's so cool. You know? It reminds yeah. me of the fucking, um, the, uh, what was it? That series that we watched. They had the burst scenes. Oh my God. Sense8. When they had the burst scene. Oh, man. Boy, I didn't see anyway, that. we're talking about yeah. sexy, not this. All right. Move okay, on. Okay. okay, move on. Let's, all let's right. move on. So it's so random, I think. They're, they're fucking, they're fucking, and just, mm, I'm parched. <laughs> you have any water? It's like, what the fuck? <laughs> Dude, just has water. Of course, obviously, it sets up the end of the movie in such a stupid yes. thing. But it's so, it's so dumb. Random. Hey, like, that's the Shyamalan twist of this movie. <laughs> <laughs> not, oh, uh, man. Don't you ever get parched? Like, she, she drained them. She's a contestant. <laughs> I guess so. She's not an average person. You know? That's right. I've never been with Sybil, so I guess I don't know what it's like, but absolutely I imagine. Oh. And you have money many, uh, many times. Oh, many, many times. Especially when I'm reading <laughs> Spider Man seventy four saying, Yeah, this is gonna net me a house one day. That's <laughs> <laughs> no, not because it's oh, in its nice print, it's worth shit. Anyways. Right. Um, I thought the speaking of just goofy, the fucking voiceover I thought was so good. I know they establish it by uh, making him talking to that new voice recorder that he's documenting his day, but I thought that was just so stupid and silly. I like it made me it made the film feel kind of like a film noir in a way, like a detective film. It's like yeah, so I walked through his name. Oh God bless you. That's that's no, that's what I no. It didn't quite work. It's like it felt like. The the theatrical cut of Blade Runner where the disinterested Harrison Ford has to go over and talk about all the shit he did in the movie like six months ago. It was just right? like, ah, oh. it was just like, no, didn't work for me at all. No, nope. really, nope. I thought it was great. No, nope. only Mark could bring film noir into Malibu fucking Express. <laughs> yeah, it, it dips its toe into film noir. You know, and it, that's what you get here at the Cinefessions no, podcast, no, which yeah, is why it, you should subscribe. Just the tip, right? Just the it, tip. It's just <laughs> under there from the original Scarface. Seriously, I uh, think it's Sedaris's best work. I, I do that I've seen so far. It's it got a be. high. It's pedestal. the best I've seen so far too, because it's the only I've seen so far. But uh, then you have another eleven films in this set. Yes, to watch. I do. Oh, yes, I Make do. Sure, you have lubricated Kleenex. <laughs> I'm, oh, sorry. I'm, I'm sorry. I'll tell Bridget to buy some. Brid- Bridget, I'm sorry, Bridget. I'm sorry. Oh, in the border, <laughs> uh, Kleenex means the Bible. So make sure you have the Bible beside you because you're going to sin. Oh, wow. God. She'd get a kick out of hearing that. I'm, I'll make uh, you some socks. Right. Yeah. Thank you. Um. Oh, my God. This fucking Buffington family. <laughs> These fucking hillbillies. Their scene was ridiculous. And the nitrous oxide, and they're like holding this like fucking measuring cup of nitrous oxide it bubbles up it's like what the fuck am i watching right now that's when the music works that's when it works they play this like country hillbilly shit which i'm a huge country music fan so i'm not talking bad about that but like yeah that was crazy man and just how it escalates like you know he's racing in a was a ford escort with (laughs) jets and it's so dumb but that's to me that's like the benny hill relief of the movie yeah and they do it three times they follow the order of comedy here comes the here comes the funny right. You got so you got your cheesecake and you got your boobies again. It's not it's not a hardcore film, so it's it's all sexiness for the sexiness' sake. Like it's 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 all meant to be sexy and not exploitative. Um, and then you've got you've got the funny. 
So to me, it, it, it just, it just spews out Benny Hill. Yeah, no, I, I definitely would agree with you there. It's the vibe I got. And the, the music does it too. The, the way they're acting does that too. They're most yeah. over the top. They're like notably over the top versus uh, the rest of the cast. So, yes, I agree. And and they're like again, they're the only uh, heftier people in the film. Mm-hmm, yeah. So it's like, ha, ha, you know, like oh look, it's 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 my pop Porkins, and it's their yeah. dumb son who puts the you know the the motorcycle helmet backwards because he's so dumb. He's a great mechanic. <laughs> so he's a he's an idiot savant. You know, he's like right. Rain Man, but you know. So yeah, it's it's played for laughs. Now, it, is it my favorite part in the uh, parts in the film? No, I could do without them right. because you know I'm, I'm dealing with this film noir. Uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Movie, Get know? this shit out of your serious More film like a noir. Dick Tracy movie. Um, but uh, <laughs> yeah, so I could totally do without uh, the uh, the family and the racetracks. But again, it just adds to the southern charm of the film because right. Abilene can do anything. Yeah, I love that. So there's this line I thought was just so strange. Um, she, the girl, I forget which girl, what she asked, what did a guy like you do at jail? And his response is, ate a lot of furniture, baby. The fuck does that mean? Ate a lot of furniture, baby? What? I, I don't know. <laughs> that was the, str- <laughs> I thought you that know, was just the strangest. Was, yeah, yeah, I, I, I'm I, not sure what that, or eat a lot of furniture. Maybe the, the warden's a female, ate a lot of rug. I, I have no clue. I really do not know. Yeah, I don't either. It was just strange and and noteworthy, but that's a question that will remain unsolved. We'll get Andy Sidaris on the podcast, and we'll, is he alive? He's I don't know. Away. But oh, but is, damn! Is wife still alive? He, he has uh, a, she would he know. She would know. I, I, I should see if she's on uh, Twitter. Almost said Tinder. Jesus Christ! <laughs> I wonder if she's on on uh, on Twitter. That'd be cool to ask. I mean, that'd be such a cool person to have like added to your friends list. I, I'd rather do Facebook. But anyways. Yeah, get around the show. More importantly, fuck! How cool would that be? How cool would that be? Hell yeah! Uh, Aspirations for two hundred goals, baby goals. That's right. Gotta have them. Gotta have them. Yeah. Um, the gym scene is like as douchey eighties as you can possibly get. You know, and just look at the equipment. The equipment's so fucking rudimentary. Yeah. And then you've got his sexy cop friend working out. And then these two big, well, they're actually Mr. Universe winners. Oh, ah, really? I'm not sure they're winners. Yes, one's um, one's Mr. Universe and one's Mr. Arizona. Oh, so they're okay. Two bodybuilders, obviously. And correct me if I'm wrong, and I should look because I have MDB open. But the third guy who gets his ear shot is yeah. that the cop that was that took over for the guy in uh, Police Academy? Is that Mauser from Police Academy 2? Oh, man. I don't know. All I know I, is I I hated him, but that's all I know. Yes, as you should be. Yeah. yeah. What did you say, you know, Ash? I'm, I'm sorry. Go- what did you say, Ash? I'm sorry. No, he did seem familiar. Oh, he okay. He familiar. So, yeah. Is it Police Academy 2 where Lassard was? Not Lassard, but uh, who's the main uh, pain in the ass for Gutenberg? I forget. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to check really quickly because I think that's the same guy, which makes it even that much cooler. Please get me through the first segment. Okay. While you're looking at that, I just I'll yes. move forward Continue. a little. So I, I just wrote on, and then Shane just casually starts to rape a girl. What are you doing? What do you think I'm doing? I'm like, oh, okay. We're getting a rape scene here in the middle of the movie. That's interesting. Wait, wait who, who gets raped? Shane, like rapes like the young looking girl um, that- is like at the end of the movie that they decide is the one who did it, and then she wasn't the one oh, who did it. Oh, the bad guy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. 
Yeah, in the shower, you mean? Yeah, he ra- yeah he rapes her. This obviously she like starts kissing him and then goes for it eventually. But clearly yeah. he's like coming in there to rape her, and it's fucked up. And he takes you know video or uh, pictures of it and everything. And yeah. I was like, that's going to be our first bit of softcore porn is a uh, fucking rape scene. I'm like, oh, okay. I don't think, <laughs> oh, you know, it is a guy, uh, Art Mitrino. Uh, he's in oh, okay. three and two. He is uh, Lieutenant Mouser and Commandant Mouser. So there you go. So it is the same guy. Ah. Well, good call. Good call. Okay, I had no Eagle idea. That's in Police Academy. Yeah. That's right. Um, yeah. Something tells me, though, that Shane what has been fucking pretty much every person in the family. So oh, absolutely. I, I might not be the... I think that that was not the first time she was with him, but he probably pissed her off, and then she said, "No, I'm I'm cutting you off." And then, but yeah. because he's such a manly man, that she succumbs to his whim, type of thing. So I don't think that's the first time they they make love. And then we go from that right to like that next scene where Liza is her name, I believe, right? She just he- these three guys just walk into the room when they introduce her, and they are about to assault her there too i'm like what the fuck like just so fucking random and gross I, these three guys she, she has a problem where she doesn't know good business because like even you know she gives all this money to this guy you know the but then he kind of treats her like shit so i'm like you're the one with the money you don't need him he needs you that's one thing that i'm like that was kind of weird you know yeah and then the whole thing and then the body bill was come and then they try to they only try to kill Abilene, and uh, it's it's kind of weird, right? Yeah. But again, it's it's not supposed to make much sense. You're just there to watch some action, see some boobs, get some laughs. Right. It's weird if you're looking at it like uh, you're trying to find the film noir aspects of it. <laughs> <laughs> sure. But otherwise, well, it's, it's just like rain, boobies. You know? Yeah. yeah right. <laughs> but yeah, I know that, that that just that aspect kind of was a little muddy, where it really didn't make that much sense. Because she could have pulled out any time and say mm-hmm. "fuck you" to him, and she yeah. never does. You know. Right. So oh, there's this okay. line. So speaking of that, oh, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, uh, uh, Cody says, see this body? It's a lethal weapon. It can kill you guys in a second. It's like, and he says it so well, so seriously. How the fuck does someone say that line and take it seriously? Like, God bless Darby Hinton, who is the fuck actor yeah. playing Kobe. Like, my God. And, and God bless 80s movies, because it's only like, you can't do that anymore. You know? Absolutely like, it just, not. It seems so cheesy. Yeah. Back then, kind of awesome. Um, but speaking about that, that, that fucked up family, right? Mm-hmm. So you had you had her with the money. Then you had the other, I guess, the sister-in-law who was fucking Shane at the t- with the tennis lessons. Was that an in-law? So I don't cute. know. I know who you're talking about, but I didn't know she was. I an think in-law. so because I think this uh, her husband was the sis or the brother to her. So the, the cross dressing, yeah, okay, the drag queen, yeah. And I have to admit, I've seen a lot of drag with burlesque in Ottawa. That guy makes a good-looking woman. Yeah, he did. Like, he looked really good as a drag queen. Yeah, I've been to a couple drag shows. Looked, They're a lot of fun, and he he looked pretty damn good um, uh, as uh, as his uh, alter ego. Um, it's kind of funny though because he's having uh, dinner with another uh, drag queen, but because she has a beard, she's got that thing over her face now. <laughs> but uh, I'm like, man, because he. he, he as himself, he kind of looks a little feminine, and I'm not sure if that's just the makeup that they gave the character. Because mm-hmm. I'm like, he does look feminine. Then when he act, when when he dresses feminine, I'm like, fuck, he he's a good looking woman, <laughs> you know. Uh, that's so, actually what ha- you jacked off to this last time you watched it, right? Was those scenes? I, I don't know. I thought I thought we were brothers. I really thought we were brothers. 
<laughs> oh man. Anywho, and to the fifth in your country. <laughs> oh man. So I, I forget what you, you just said his name. The guy who was from Police Academy too. His fucking uh, yeah, Art uh, Art Mitrino. His fucking screams that he kept doing throughout this. I was just like, oh my god, stop screaming, you annoying fuck. He oh, I hated weird. that. Especially when he's going to attack Cody in his boat. Before he kicks the door down, he actually screams. Yes, I know. <laughs> like, what the fuck Dude. would you scream then for, you idiot? Well, again, this is before Medical Solid, right? So <laughs> he didn't know he could like, hide in the box or, you know. Yep. He had such a big exclamation point over his head at the time. I know. He just didn't realize know? it. But at the same time, though, Cody knows his boat. So any any weird creaks, like he was ready. Even though he had the two girls. Mm-hmm. Again, those two girls, God bless their souls. Oh, my God. Seriously. I know. I know. Good girls. They are good girls. Friendly neighborhoods, you know? Uh, friendly neighborhoods. Jeez. No, you're friendly right. Neighbors. Oh, well, it's friendly a friendly neighborhood for all we know. Uh, oh, man. I, I did not want to be in the water so much at that point. <laughs> like, seriously, I'll, I'll just live on that anchor. I don't care. But, uh, yeah, no, it's just like bad timing for them, but, uh, oh, uh, so good. And then I, okay, I think it was, yeah, so they're, they're, cha- the three, the trio's chasing him and they get, it almost becomes like a car chase at one point. Then he pulls yeah. into like this desert setting and this incredibly beautiful woman, he pulls up and is like, I need the fastest thing on the lot. And she goes, sugar. And she like takes her shirt off. I'm the fastest thing on this lot. And then they just start fucking. I'm like, oh, I love this. I love <laughs> this. Yeah, it's, it's, that's what makes this movie so much fun. You, you see an attractive person, you know that they're going to bear their chest. And she, oh God, you know? she was beautiful. She was so hot. They all, like, they all are. Mm-hmm. The, uh, the casting director gets 10 out of 10 for me. Absolutely. So, Both fists, baby. 10 out of 10. <laughs> Mark, Mark would be the, like, uh, I was just thinking of Zach and Mary make a porno. <laughs> Mark would totally be that dude. <laughs> Absolutely. That's I mean, awesome. Whatever I have to do for the craft, like I'm willing to do it. No, oh, I know you are. You are a dedicated <laughs> motherfucker. I just enjoy the arts. It's <laughs> <laughs> very true. Oh man. Um Yeah, so then we get the drag queen. Okay, so mm-hmm. and then Shane, he's just a, such a despicable character. His use of the word faggot multiple times, it just made me hate him even more. He's a racist. A racist, a rapist, and a homophobe, and I just fucking hated him. I hate that word, and so it made me hate him so much more. Like, God, what a piece of shit he was. Yeah, you're not supposed to like him. Nope. At all. There's nothing. Even his face. Like, you just want to punch his face. His pretty he's fucking a, face. He's got a pretty fucking beautiful fucking punch face, you yep. know? With the, the beautiful tan and the perfect hair and the 80s eyebrows and the chiseled chin, and they just want to punch it in the face and then hurt my hand because it's so perfect. Exactly. You know? <laughs> oh, man. So at this point, I wrote down, uh, I'm not going to lie. I'm not sure I genuinely know what the plot is at this point yet. <laughs> That's a really good point because, honestly, I didn't either. So the Contesta hired him to spy on the family because they think someone from the family is selling computer secrets to a foreign country through a uh, through a uh, other company, through a, through a, a subsidiary. Oh, okay. So, so, so the Contessa was looking for the uh, rat or mole that she thought that family had because of the computer secrets. See, this would have been a great Which, episode to have you start with like a, a complete synopsis of the movie so that we were all on the same page on what the fuck exactly is going on here. Well, um, it's funny I because I tried to storyboard the film. <laughs> <laughs> I, 
I trade storyboarding the movie, but all I drew was tits. <laughs> <laughs> it's in cars and cars and tits. Yep, exactly. Boobs. Oh. Yeah. Boobs. Um, I was so glad when Shane died, I'll tell you that. Oh. With tits on them is just kind of disturbing, Mark. I just want to throw that out there. Oh, dude, it, 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 think Cars 4. I will draw Cars 4. <laughs> I will give them all tits. Tits on the hood. Oh, good, good. Now, that's a Cars I'll see because I've not seen any of them, but I will go to the theater to see that one. Pixar, call me. I have ideas. <laughs> Oh, man. Um, Okay, so this part killed me, which obviously, again, it's remedied, I guess, at the end of the movie. But so uh, she sees – I had to see him put the camera in the drawer because he did it as blatantly as possible. And then she even goes in the drawer and still doesn't grab the camera. I'm like, what the fuck is going on? And then obviously it's revealed at the end that she did it purposely. Yeah. Okay. But I thought it was just so stupid. Oh. You're going to get a remote control that will bring camcorders up so you can record all uh, all your uh, sexual needs. Um, <laughs> no, like that, that, that was great. So it would go up and then boom, perfect angle for a sex tape. A- like absolutely. That chain. Exactly. He's a fucking engineer, that guy. He's an engineer. Mm-hmm. I know. Back in 85, that, that's fucking solid, you know? Yep, exactly right. You're talking I, – I know what you're talking I didn't realize, I guess, that that was Shane's room that they were in when they – they because it's him and the cop fucking, right? I didn't realize that was that point. But okay. Or I didn't yeah, realize I that was that had, room. Yeah, yeah, I guess. Which, again, weird. Because you're kind of compromising the scene of the crime. Well, actually, you're investigating. See, how do you explain this? So, she brings Cody Abilene, because he's awesome, to the to the summer house. They proceed to have sex. But then uh, the bad guys come, and they kill two bad guys. The bad guys come? <laughs> oh, 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 my God. Oh, my God, no. <laughs> oh, my God, you did that. Oh my god! Okay, yeah, yeah. Oh. they come, but they don't. I, that was just for you, Mark. Just for oh, you. Yeah. High, five. high five! There we go. Yeah, high five! You know, you There we go. Boom. Um, so, so how do you explain to your detective buddies? Yeah, I was banging some dude in this residence that we were checking for information, and then I killed two guys. Like, would you make the bed? Would you like? Would you even, like, take the sheets off the bed? Like, I don't know. I'd probably make pretend that I didn't have sex there. I know. That's what I wrote. I was like, cool, a homicide just happened. But instead of following the lead to figure out who killed them, we're just going to fuck instead. And then record ourselves doing it because that makes sense. Like, I was just so nonsensical. But it's like, that's the movie we're watching, you know? And there was a really cool uh, move where she was on top of Cody, but her back was to him. So she was, like, kind of, like grinding like, almost like reverse cowgirl in a way I'm like you don't really see that in sexploitation films it's really like missionary and whatever from behind and like on top but having her like kind of like both of them lying but she's laying on him I'm like ah oh, if I was I'd be like I'd have, probably have trouble breathing but I'd force myself through it just because I'm like I'm fucking a cop in some perp's house anyways that's just me yeah, I'm going to turn that those last couple seconds into like uh, a gif that I can just put the laptop on my lap and just watch you <laughs> fucking humping, man. That's what I'm going to do later tonight. Fuck editing uh, the podcast. That's what I'm doing. You smell the rose now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Uh, um, I love how blasé Cody and uh, I think it was Contessa at that point were about finding Shane dead in their backyard. They're just like, oh – well, we got to do this. Or you you need to go away so you're not in trouble. And then they kiss and then they move on. It's just like, okay. Hey, well, he is her, her client. Or she is his client, I should say. So he's protecting his client right now because he wants to get paid. Right. In Very money. Yeah. Everything else. Exactly right. Boy. 
um, I didn't get so. I think you may have explained it a bit. Explain it again for me. Why in the hell does Cody call the sex hotline when he's supposed to be calling the police? Well, I'm thinking because he has a pager, right? And this is '85, so that that alphanumeric pager was high tech. Now, why is he like? I guess because he's such a hot stud. And again, for the ladies, there's sure there's a lot of female nudity. We do see a brief shower scene with Cody Abilene. His butt. Where he is yeah. buck naked. So it's not just, it's not just for the guys, it's for the girls too. Idis Daris is a, um, is a, um, equal opportunity, all gender director. opportunity. Exactly. Perfect. So, so he calls the, the service because I guess he just doesn't have a Rolodex on him, right? Because it doesn't fit in his cow briefcase. And 911 and is a hard all- one to remember. Yeah. Ah, well, again, in 85, was there 911? Like, when was 911 implemented? I don't I, know. Honestly, I'm asking because... Don't, don't you like... 90, um, I think if, I figure if any of us would know here, it might have been you, but I don't know. Yeah, that's I'm Canadian. So, like, everything true. happens... To, like, we just got that in like, 2006. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> I Anyways, hope that's true. Uh, I want that to be a fact. And it, it's going to be in uh, my so brain, a fact now from now on. Oh, it's on the internet. It came out in 1968. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so there was another one, but he didn't want to report an emergency. He wanted the police to show up to his house, or you know, like even at the end of the film, like call these people up because he doesn't have a Rolodex, right? So he calls a service that has a phone book, I guess, I suppose, which is like a sex hotline too, which is it's just funny because it's a Anderson's film. So um, it was an but, uh, it was supposed to be a, 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 a multifunction as an operating service and a phone sex hotline. The way I see it is that it is a phone sex line, but because Corey Abilene is Corey Abilene, oh. he has wooed that one uh, lady so hard. She's hot. Because every time he calls, she gets happy, right? Um, so I think there must be a, there must be a, uh, a agreement that, hey, I'll, you know, uh, I'll take you out if you can help me out with, with these telephone calls, you know? Right. Because he never uses, he never uses a, a phone booth, I don't think. Um, so like they have all the numbers, I suppose, you know, she's got a phone uh, book. She works on the phone. Okay. I, I, but, I looked up more on nine one one. It came okay. out in 1968. It wasn't uh, well known until the seventies, but most places did not have it until the eighties. Oh, so. I would assume 86. Let's say 86. <laughs> Let's make that assumption. <laughs> Absolutely. <clears throat> so, yeah. Good call. Good call. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. So, so, and plus it just gives us more chances to, to see that, uh, that beautiful operator naked. No, yeah, exactly. I myself, when I work, I don't wear that outfit. Oh. I have a uniform oh. unless I'm on late shifts. That's then disappointing. I might have it under. Yeah, I know. I, I'm starting to burst people's bubbles. It but, has to uh, happen sooner or later. Well, you know, it's better to let you off now than later on. Exactly. But um, yeah, it, it's just to add to the cheesecake of the, of the film. It's good times. I love that the, the lieutenant shows up and then he makes a damn sex joke in the midst of a homicide investigation. He says, that's what I'd call hard evidence. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you dumbass he's just letting off steam bro you know he's just trying to make a lot of stuff because he's so traumatic he's so traumatized by all the killings he sees yeah absolutely he's just trying to cope it's a coping mechanism uh some of the adr work on this film is just terrible so adr work i i i'm forgetting what the acronym is but it's basically um if you have sound it's like uh, that you can't record yeah exactly you record it in studio and they put it into the film afterwards um yeah 
when when Cody and the sergeant, the that female cop are driving, they use ADR to record the conversation. And it sounds terrible yeah. because it sounds like Cody's recording in like this metal box for some reason. And it sounds like she's in the car next to him or something. You know what I mean? Like in a different area. And it just sounds really bad. And but, just sections where, you know, his mouth isn't moving, but he's talking. Yeah. Oh, tons of that. Locked, yeah. But that's to be understood, though. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then you get the uh, the sex scene. Um, Which one? <laughs> the one with uh, the sergeant and, and Cody, the first one. Yeah, um, and then one. the the bad guys, the three dudes, they bring in these, I, I thought they were just ridiculous looking guns that didn't resemble anything I'd ever seen before. I thought they were funny as hell. Yeah, yeah. It's funny because they have those guns and then like the two big muscle bone guys, one has like a rifle, one has a shotgun. Or they have a long gun. Is like, you don't really see those types of guns in these types of movies. Right. These are handguns. Like he's got a fucking... Two shot rifle, like all right, whatever, unforgiven. You know, yeah. it's all good. <laughs> um, I just and then we get we get the first movie a lot, right? Yeah, uh, we get the first of our our two blatant dirty Harry references, and I like that they even make mention of the fact that he references dirty, dirty Harry. I thought that was funny. Yeah, but yeah, even yeah, as someone who's not seen Dirty Harry, I know they're Dirty Harry references. Yep, oh, exactly. Sure. Yeah, they're it's iconic. Hmm. Um, I love that Cody, it's a running joke. She keeps missing him, keeps missing him. And then fucking the sergeant jumps in and takes two shots and kills the guy. Um, it's fantastic. And then and then the line afterwards, maybe my favorite in there. He says, it's these hands that are lethal weapons. And she replies with, yeah, just be careful when you play with yourself. <laughs> love it. That's fucking money, man. Yeah, take my money, Andy. Take my money. That. I laugh at that. That was pretty good. Hell yeah, that's great. Um... And that's what what kills me is is as as stupid as the script is a lot of the time. And I thought it was. I know, Mark, it's a film noir, but I thought it was stupid <laughs> most of the time. Oh, so sure. a lot of these act- actors are genuinely solid. Like, I-, I didn't expect that at all, but they're decent actors uh, for what they're asked to do. You know what I mean? Like, obviously, yeah. the, the Playboy models aren't doing uh, much acting. They're just taking their clothes off. And I'm totally fine with that. You passed. They did a great job, you know? But... Uh, I think that the main players I thought were actually pretty damn good. I I thought so too. I I thought the the guy who plays Cody Abilene it's said that Darby Hinton. He's and really good. I don't recognize him from anything else. I'll be honest with you. No, me either. Um, apparently he's on Days of Our Lives, and he's still doing movies to this day. Fuck, I would love to meet this guy at like Cinema Wasteland. Or oh, something. absolutely. I don't know if awesome. that would ever happen. But I would be – I'd probably lose my shit just like I lost my shit for Patty Mullen from Frank Hooker because <laughs> it's movies from my youth that I fucking idolized to a point where my fucking income would go towards some, a pursuit of something that I can achieve, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I would pop huge for that. Uh, but I thought he was really decent because, again, he's a stud. He's, he's, he's making love to all these hot women. Mm-hmm. You want to be him. Also, you want to hang out with him. Like, I would totally hang out with the guy, you know? Right, yeah. Or the character. Because he's just, he's just, he's cool. He's fun. Mm-hmm. You know, and he, he just, he's dripping with, with machismo and suave at the same time. Yeah, no, I'm not as, as certain as you are that I'd like to have him <laughs> fuck my wife, but. Well, I'm not married. So it's, it's, it's an empty comment. Well, it's, yeah. it's true. That's true. Um, I, I at least said watch. I don't have to ask her if she wants to. Oh, decision, but as long as you've cleared that up. I become a cuck. I become a fucking cuck, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> Anyways, uh, science. Science is good, right? Or we're not there oh, yet? Oh, okay. man. Not quite. Not quite there yet. Um, so, okay. of course, when he gets back, he's being chased by the bad guys and he gets back to his boat. Of course, the two hot neighbors are there just in his bed. 
because yes. Andy Sedaris, right? Um, I thought that was fantastic. Um, and the dude, the black dude who was searching for the film in Cody's room is a ridiculous. He just kept so saying, bad. this shit pisses me off. It, that pisses me off. I'm like, why do you keep saying that? Obviously, the guy uh, cannot ad lib for Exactly. Lick. Exactly. It reminds uh, me of when I'm in, on, on stage trying to ad lib. I'm like, fuck, what am I saying? I have to like write down a script for me to ad lib. <laughs> you know, like I can't like, fucking uh, do it. Where are the keys? Where are the keys? This this is pissing me off. Arg! Arg! <laughs> oh, it's so fucking funny. Oh, I love yeah. that. But yeah. Oh man. It's part of the charm of this movie. Exactly. Like, honestly, it's it's just it's a total package. Yeah. Like look at it. Um, I thought the oddest character in the entire film was like the maid with the ex- extremely long like white hair. She was so strange. I don't know. I don't. I kind of missed her purpose. What was her name again? It was oh, a weird fucking name. I have no idea. Um, fuck. It was a reference to something. Uh, oh, oh, okay. No, that's Chamberlain. What the fuck was her name? Ma- Maid Marion. That's it. Okay. Yeah, she was Maid Marion. And uh, yeah, she never got naked. She had a ridiculous wig. Yeah. Um, ample cleavage in a French maid outfit, which awesome. And she was a stooge for Shane. But and then she just that, then she just fucks off. Yep, she's going to yeah, she Cancun just, or something. She says like something weird. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's a missed opportunity there. But I don't think Cody really saw her. Did they have a scene together? Because mm-hmm. she sneaks around him, he sneaks around her. But I don't think they actually had any interaction. Because you know, if they did, they'd be they'd have, we'd have it. We had an extra scene. Well, I would say make love, but they would have had an extra scene. Oh, you're trying so hard to class this fucking movie up. Good for you. I'm you stick to your you. guns. Oh, it's fantastic. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, I just, I couldn't wait to see the trio of bad guys die. Um, I thought they were just terribly written. Um, and if that fucking white dude screamed one more time, I was just going to lose it. Oh, I couldn't stand it. <laughs> what I find funny is that scene where they're chasing Knockers and Abilene in the, the sports car with, with the helicopter. They fucking hijack a helicopter. Oh, and I loved it. What was but- that line? Um, he's like... Oh, it's the it's the dude in the back, the the guy who was searching for the thing. He's like, well, if you shoot him in the head, who's going to fly the helicopter? <laughs> it's like the most obvious thing ever. I'm like, what is happening? Yeah, he's like, he's Mr. Arizona. But just the fact that June wanted to bang Cody, not realizing they're actually being chased by bad guys. Yep, exactly. Oh, so it's funny. Just, it's just, she's so innocent, you know? She's, oh, yep. man, yeah. God bless her. And, and then the way he responds to it with, oh, I can't believe this is happening to me. Just to, he's just so exasperated with this whole thing. Oh, why do these women want to fuck me? <laughs> yeah. Oh, why me? Exactly. Yeah. It's so funny, though. I love that. Oh, just crazy. You your day was hard. My day. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Um. Okay. So she uses the uh, her gigantic boobs as a distraction. Um, because that makes sense. Um, and then they shoot, you know, they get, take care of them. Uh, more Dirty Harry references. Uh, oh, and then the, the guy, the man and the woman in the Winnebago was just so fucking random the first time I saw him. And I was like, okay. And then they brought him back again. Cause they're going to be like the ones who pick them up. And, uh, the wife says, I guess we must be near Hollywood. <laughs> oh, I just love that. Exactly. Um, and so then we get the, uh, the, re- the, the reveal that the person who killed Shane was the woman he raped. And I just wrote, good, you know, resurrect him and let her kill him again because fuck Shane. Um, sure. But yeah, so 
the whole but it wasn't it wasn't Shane. It wasn't or it or wasn't it wasn't Liza, yeah. right? Yeah. But this whole this whole plot is just it's fucking pointless, right? Like it's only yeah. there to get from boob A to boob Z, right? Oh, so well, that's what a Sidorus film really is. You know, like mm-hmm. let's be honest, you're there to see the to, to see the girls. The plot exactly. is very secondary. Now, I right. enjoyed I enjoyed the journey on this one more than okay. some of his other films. But yeah, the the plot is a little too convoluted for its genre. Let's say you know. Um, yep. And that's and, and I then, and I agree. That's why you're there. Go ahead. And then the end is kind of out of left field. I'm like, with yep. the whole mask that disintegrates as soon as it touches the air. Like, wh- it's just another scene, to, another segment, just have a simple dining, a shower uh, in paradise with her white bikini and her, like, pulling the bikini bottom so that the oh, shower God, water goes yeah. down right to, the, right to her tender parts. Mm-hmm. Oh, I never want to be H2O more than that scene. Anyways, <laughs> that's not here and there. Right. Uh, and that's but, the thing. Uh, like, why, why Why? have this whole epilogue? Like, I like it because of that Sybil scene and because of the fact that they kind of do the recap of all the, a lot of the nudity in the film, which is awesome. But yeah. why do we have to explain all this in a, you know, this is what really happened segment? It's just, I don't know. It's just like pointless. And it, it made the film seem longer than it did at the end. And uh, I just... I didn't believe any of, you know, she, she purposely pried open the door on the right because she knew he'd figure it out. I mean, give me a break. If she's really CIA or whatever she was, why not just off the person? Like, why go through all this rigmarole right. for this end result, you know? Yeah. But whatever. It, I know. It, I just, it made it for a fun film. Yeah, I just genuinely didn't give a shit about that last scene at all. It's pointless. I, I thought it would have been better cut out. Um, but yeah. You know, uh, whatever. Um, she could have ended with more sex instead of that needless plot nonsense. <laughs> um, but anyway, so um, anything else to add about Malibu Express? Um, no, I guess for me, just final results. Oh, did we lose Ash? We, he, oh, no, he's there. Okay. He's there. Yeah, he had to step away yeah. for a second. Um, yeah. Perfect. Excellent. So, Mark, give your final thoughts and your star rating for Malibu Express. Okay. Well, this film to me is my favorite sexploitation it, it's funny it's cheeky it dips in different genres doesn't take itself serious but you can still enjoy the story as convoluted as it might get what i also liked about it it's not we have shane who is despicable but to me it's not it doesn't have a rapey vibe to it unlike some other films like if you look at joysticks uh, i think joysticks and well for sure like screwballs where, you know, you've got, like, the horny teens that uh, break into, like, the hot chick's house, but then bangs the mom instead, who's either, you know, in sleeping pills or something. Might have been funny back then, but watching it now, that's kind of, kind of, it's very creepy, you know? It sounds this like it. This film doesn't have that. that. Yeah, yeah. Like, you know, where they, like, oh, oh, the hot chick's here. Oh, you break, you know, climb, the, climb through the, the top window, and oh, it's the mom's uh, bedroom, and she's sleeping. She's on the Xanax. But she, you know, she has like sex sleep with the guy, not thinking, you know, you think it's her husband, but it's really that kid. And he's like, oh, I'm stuck with the girl's mom. Yeah. It, it's, it's a bit of a staple in some 80s sex comedies. Um, this one doesn't have that. It's really, again, it's cheesecake. It's fun. It's light. Um, fuck. I just love it. To me, to me, this is my favorite sexy movie, let's say. Um, again, I'm, again, growing up in the 80s, this, is taboo when I grew up. Um, so being able to watch it now, it just, you know, I, I love the eighties aesthetics. There's this, again, the scene with the, uh, at the gym, all the girls are wearing like the leotards, like the eighties get up. 
I like like we're gonna talk about glow in a few weeks. I love that shit. That's like I love the big hair. I love the eighties makeup because it's something I couldn't get back then, and they don't dress like or ladies don't dress like that now. Um, so it's it's a it's a throwback. It's it's a lust. It's to me it's perfect. So as a sexploitation film, or even I would say even sexploitation, but as a sexy movie um, of the VHS era, I give this four out of four stars. Okay. Perfect. And what about you, Ash? What are your final thoughts on your star rating for uh, Malibu Express? It's definitely not my uh, favorite sexploitation film. That would have to fall to uh, Lethal Ladies, uh, <laughs> which was the sequel. Uh, I didn't know it was a sequel at the time when I watched it on Cinemax way the fuck back when. Um, but no, um, it was fun. Um, I don't know. It just... It had some funny moments. It had some good moments. It had some really dumb moments. And I, as a sexploitation film goes, it was decent. It wasn't terrible. I mean, I've seen some, yeah, really bad ones that my friends subjected me to over the years. So just like, why are we watch? Oh, they're naked. That's why we're watching. Uh, but you know, it, it, overall, it wasn't too bad. Uh, I had some fun with it. Am I going to revisit it? Probably not. Uh, but you know, it was fun while it lasted. So I'll give it. Two out of four. Perfect. So uh, Mark with a four-star rating, Ash with a two-star rating. So for myself, uh, there's virtually nothing to Malibu Express other than beautiful, naked 80s women, um, despite what Mark tries to make you believe. And, (laughs) And that's exactly what I was hoping for. Um, quick, quick subset here. Um, my, my first like taste of, of sex comedy was because I'm, I'm a little younger was, was American pie. Um, and so I really need to go back to the eighties sex comedies and check those out. Cause I Frank, I just haven't for some reason, you know, and I need to test Porky's. them out. Porky's yeah. Is fucking oh fantastic. yeah. Porky's See, I need to watch that. Friend. Oh my fucking God. Yes. <laughs> yeah. But, um, yeah, so that's kind of where my sex comedy uh, started you know so that's what i've spent time with but anyway i do need to go back to more of the 80s ones like you guys say because i know they're iconic and they're great and i just need to watch them but um malibu express it's it's an action film with beautiful women and that's all it really needed to be um i don't see myself watching this a ton more over the years but i appreciate it for what it is and now that said i would absolutely buy a blu-ray release of it and i would watch it again there um because i think it would just be fun to watch again um on blu-ray uh, the music I thought was a strange choice throughout the entire film. Uh, the only time it seemed to fit really well was with the Hillbilly family, the Buffingtons, uh, when they were on screen. Otherwise, it just felt completely out of place. Even during the final credits, we get a full-blown country song. And uh, that just didn't match the vibe that the film gave out. Though I do uh, appreciate a little bit more now that you're talking about it, Mark, with the the vibe that the uh, specific character was going for of Cody. Um, but just overall, I just felt strange. Um, there are a few absolutely fantastic lines of dialogue that I loved, but most of it was pretty standard B-movie nonsense. Um, I like that Sedaris knows what type of film he's making here and really goes for it. Um, the epilogue at the end with the needless bit of dialogue and plot development, completely unnecessary. But otherwise, he he you know it he does what he sets out to. Um, and that's create a fun action film that's main purpose is to show some large naked breasts. Um, if that's what you're looking for, you're probably going to enjoy Malibu Express. If you want anything more than that, um, even if you, if you want, even if you want softcore porn, I would argue you might be disappointed because 
yeah, there's nudity and there's some sex, but it's not even enough that I would even call it a sex, a softcore porn film, frankly. Now, frankly, my experience with softcore porn um, is with um, a documentary I watched um, about Jim Wynorski. And uh, it was okay. while he was filming the, the, the Witches of Breastwick. And that had a lot more sex. <laughs> like, I don't, you know, that's, I haven't really watched the full one, but that had a lot more sex in it than like this did, for example. So that's what I think of when I think of, you know, softcore porn. And I'm sure I've seen others, like we talked about in the very beginning of this, just like watching, you know, Cinemax and things like that. In fact, I can think of some other ones, but not their names or anything, but I just felt like there's more sex in those and those would kind of be what I'd consider softcore porn. Basically, a porn without the penetration. You know, you don't see that, you know, and that's not, you don't get quite that much here. Um, porn that doesn't get to the heart of the issue. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> like, you're not getting a money shot. So it's like, what's the purpose? You know what I mean? But that's just me. Maybe that's just me. I don't know. But um, but anyway, <laughs> I'm weird. But anyway, as absurd ridiculous and pointless as this movie is, it's still going to appeal to a very specific audience. Um, fortunately, I'm in that audience. And Mark, you're in that audience. You know, Ash, you're yeah. in that audience, you know? Um, so um, I had a good time with yeah, it. But I was in that audience, like, when I was much younger. I'm Yeah. Eight. Yeah, you're an old fucker now, so I understand. You're crotchety. <laughs> it's a little different. I get it. But I just kid. I kid. I kid because I love. But anyway, um, most most people, though, aren't going to be that audience, unfortunately. Um, but for me, I'm going to give Malibu Express two and a half out of four stars. So we got a two star, four star, and a two and a half star. So that's not bad. So Not bad at all. Yeah, I got 11 more films to watch from Sedaris right at my fingertips, right behind me. So. Heck, heck yeah. Heck yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. All right. We got one more, guys. How, what, what, what's our runtime thus far? Let me take a l- quick look here if I can two find my half. mouse. Two and a half. Is that where we're at? Exactly. Two and a half and 25 seconds. Perfect. So we spent about an hour in each one. Excellent. Let's uh, let's wrap this up. I'm not going to lie, gents. I wrote a lot for this movie. Okay? So just bear with me. Bear with me. So s- signs from 2002. I don't know why. I start and then I realize, you know what? You should take a drink. And so then I fucking pause. Have a sippy sip. And then move forward. Anyway. Signs from 2002, and again, there will be spoilers for Signs. If that matters to you, there will be spoilers. So, Signs from 2002, written and directed by the one M. Night Shyamalan. Oh, and Mark, his name is Shyamalan and Joaquin. Joaquin Phoenix, all right? Joaquin. Yeah, I don't want to repeat of last week. Anyway. Joaquin and Shyamalan. Okay, good. (laughs) Signs has an IMDb score of 6.7 out of the 289,548 votes. A Metacritic score of 59. Um, apparently, I didn't get the tomato meter. Excuse my negligence there. Um, it has it, a... That's it. <laughs> it, just, it just says six. Oh. I don't know if it's 6,600. It had a... Um, what was its budget? Let me pull that back up. It had a budget of $72 million and a gross of $227.9 million. So, Ash, what is your history with signs? Believe it or not, uh, this is the first time I've ever watched it. Whoa, that is shocking to me. I know. Um, just to to clear this up, because I fucked up, it has a tomato meter of seventy four percent with a uh, audience score on Rotten Tomatoes of sixty seven percent. Kidding! I got that out of the way. That was bugging me. <laughs> I like structure. Every episode's got to be the same. Damn it. Anyway. Um, Mark, what's your history with it? I'm blown away that you haven't seen this movie before, Ash. But anyway, Mark, what's your history? Uh, this DVD bought it at uh, Future Shop, which is a uh, 
defunct online or online. Anyways, uh, yeah, bought it uh, on DVD. I don't remember seeing theaters, so I saw it all the way back then when it got released on DVD. Probably like what two thousand was it? What year is this? Two thousand two was when it came out in theaters. So probably came out in two thousand two, early two thousand three. So yeah, when it came out. And uh, to be honest, I, it's only the second time I've, or maybe the third time I've seen it. So, okay. Yeah. Fair enough. This was one. See, I was in high school between t- 2000 and 2004, and I was watching a ton of movies. And um, there was a couple that I went to the theater multiple times to see. The Ring was one of them. The, I skipped school one time in my life, and uh, it was uh, with this girl, and we ended up going to see The Ring a second time in theaters during the day. So that one I've seen multiple times in theaters, and Signs I've seen multiple times in theaters. And I've seen that one maybe three times in theaters. Um, I really, a f- I fucking adore. I mean, it's one of my favorite films of all time. I'm just gonna throw it out there right now. Ah, spoiler for the end of the you know final thoughts, but whatever it is. And uh, I've seen it a lot in theaters. And um, my friends still talk about me us going to the theater because one particular instance, um, like my best friend and what was a really close friend of mine at the time, we went and um, I scream in this movie. There's some moments where I scream in terror because it fucking terrified me. And I remember distinctly walking out and my friends will never let me forget it. There was people in front of us. They said, man, that movie sucked, except for that one guy screaming all the time. And I was like, oh, God, that was me. That was me screaming like a little bitch. But there it is. And they fucking love it. And they talk about it all. Whenever they talk about things, they mention it a lot. So, (laughs) um, yeah, I saw this a lot in theaters. I own this one of my double dips. I owned it on DVD, watched it there, and then uh, purchased the Blu-ray and watched it a couple times there. Um, Honestly, might be the film I've seen the most in my life. Thinking about it, it might be. Yep. It very well could be. Um, I'm trying to think of another one that would maybe top it. And there was one that I feel like I've talked about in the past, but for whatever reason right now, it's just escaping me. But I think it might be uh, might be this one. But yeah. So that's my history with signs. I love it. And obviously, this was my pick, Malibu Express. Mark, it was your pick, obviously, because we all went on our long tangents when we talked about our film. So. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, okay. all right. So I, like I said, I wrote down a lot. So bear with me. Um, I've been honestly since fucking episode one. This is one of the two films that I've been wanting to talk about in podcast form with you guys. Um, this one and there's a set another film Zodiac that I really want to do eventually, just because uh, there's two of my faves, and so I've been, I'm really excited to finally get to. So let's do it. Um, one of the strongest aspects of signs to me shows up right in the opening credits that start the film the score i think it's absolutely fantastic it gets me it gets me pumped every time i hear it for the film i'm about to watch it's and the way it's done here it almost reminds me of an overture to a musical the way that Shyamalan, because he he gives us nothing to look at but a blue background and the black text of the names and so it forces you to listen to the music, which is driving. And I love that. And that's, it reminds me a bit of a musical. I don't know if you get, you probably have spent a lot of time with musicals, but that's what it reminded me of. Um, yeah, the, it does feel like the overture, but it's, it's also more like the throwbacks to, um, the way they used to do, I am, they used to do that. Well, every single Star Trek movie in the eighties, it opens with, the themes of the film or the theme of the film and the the credits, the opening credits and in Star Trek ones. And so it's just the star field, but right. yeah, it, it's similar. I mean, West side story does the same thing. All you get is the mm-hmm. boom background, the overture and go. Absolutely. And I love that. Um, 
So the I, I I just noted it, I guess. I thought it was interesting. The very first shot in the film, so after the overture, well, I'm going to call it the overture, after that moment, the very first shot in the film is of the picture of the whole family. Um, you get the mom, the, the reverend, dad, uh, and the two kids. And I thought that was uh, interesting because it's it's basically what this entire thing is about is that family. Um, obviously, the fourth person in that picture, the mom, um, is basically replaced by Joaquin Phoenix. <laughs> but um, yeah, I love that. Um, the setting of the film. Bucks County, PA, just perfect. And then and the prop, the crop circles and the sounds of the bugs just buzzing as they, f- as they run to find out why the children are screaming. It just sets such a good atmosphere for what we're about to watch. You know, it's, it's down home and that's what it is. I really like that about it. Um, were there any, I just feel like I'm, I'm talking a lot. I want to let you guys talk too. I'm just so excited. Dad. I just, ah, let's go. Um, I'm going to keep going. So uh, what I love about this opening <laughs> scenes here, and then you can jump in, the uh, the eerie strangeness to all of these opening scenes. So first, the music in the intro, which tells us something odd is going on. Then he wakes up clearly from a nightmare of some sort. He walks around the house with this eerie silence. And then you hear the scream. Then the crop circles. And then the dog pees in the house, which is unusual. They make mention of that. Something is clearly off. And Shyamalan, he does an excellent job of helping us understand that things are different today. This is why we're watching this family today, because something is different today. And that feeling goes through the whole town, apparently, because, you know, you get the story from the cop about the woman spitting on the hardware store uh, shelves. Then Houdini, the German shepherd, starts growling at Bo. It's just, without saying something is weird here, Shyamalan sets the mood that something is different, something is strange. Uh, pay attention. And I love that. In these opening moments, anything stand out to you guys at all? Um, I think that's, I, I, I honestly, it just it. He has a certain feel, especially his earlier films, uh, before the disaster that was Avatar: The Last Airbender. Uh, <laughs> right. Uh, but his earlier films have this this feel to them. Uh, you just you know who you're watching just by just the way it's shot, the way it feels, and and I and I got that from this one too, definitely. The one thing that struck me the most is when you're looking through that, and there's that one wall that had the cross, the crucifix on it. Thank you. you know? Yes. Yes. And you know, it's been there for a long time because, like, again, I just moved. I had posters on the wall for a long time. And when you take them down, there's kind of like an outline around them with just an accumulation of dirt and soot and whatever. So having that, that cross there shows like there's an absence of God because he never really, he never washed the wall. He hasn't. You know, ever since he, he lost his wife, he's kind of just thrown everything aside, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and, and to me, that's one of the most striking things in the, in the film is just his lack of faith, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I have, I have to admit something. Yeah. When we were watching this, I had to remember the scary movie scene where, uh, where he's talking to his wife as she's impaled by the car in the scary <sighs> movie. And she's like, don't date anybody. Promise me. He's like, what? You're fading, honey. <laughs> when I yep. was watching this, I started thinking that. I started cracking up. I'm like, wow, that's really inappropriate. I think that's like... <laughs> kind of funny. That one and maybe Scary Movie 2 are like the only good scary movies. Uh, maybe. Agreed. Yeah. Agreed. It, 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 yeah. Um, and, and the cross going full circle. So the shot, you know, the house you, uh, there. And then at the very end, 
the crosses back up, you know, covering that exact same spot. It just brings it full circle. It's yeah. Strong, in my opinion, just strong filmmaking, you know, because he doesn't make note of it. No one's talking about it. It's just, it's a visual thing. And that's what film is. It's a visual narrative, you know? And so but it feels when there's a, there's a shot or there's a scene shot in that area. Um, it's like the camera kind of, like, it doesn't focus on it, mm-hmm. but it's in the foreground. Like, it, 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 it's there, but it's so apparent. It's hard. To, it's really, it's hard to miss. Right. Yeah. It's, it's, You'd be surprised. I'd be very surprised. Someone who like never noticed the cross outline on on the wall. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, perfect. I love. There's a shot in that opening there. So it's right when we meet Morgan. Graham, uh, Morgan's okay. Looking forward at the cornfield. Graham, he goes like that, right? He grabs his face and turns it, um, and so they can talk. And then um, he asks, "Did what, Morgan?" And Morgan. Does the exact same thing to his dad, just looking in the, at the crop circle so he can see the crop circle. Just, uh, I, again, a circular image that pops into my head and I really liked it. Just, I don't, it's something simple, but I, I thought it was really cool. Really cool shot. Uh, smartly done. Uh, so from the dog growling to the cop telling about how other animals have been acting strange, peeing on themselves and getting violent. Um, then that sups up this whole idea that he doesn't want to get called father for the first time. Um, and then from there, the violence, it kind of escalates quickly. Um, and it's with the, with the dog I'm talking about. Um, and it's interesting that we don't get to see the dog attack at all. Just the aftermath of it being dead. And uh, I thought that was interesting. I think if... See, a lot of people have very strong opinions on uh, dead animals. So I think if Shyamalan would have shown the... Uh, uh, I'm sorry. What's McCulkin's uh, Morgan. name? Morgan. Um, if you would have shown Morgan kill a dog, um, I think it would have turned a lot of people off to the. Film. Yeah, it's not that type of movie at all. It's no, not. It's not, like even old. Yeah, like yeah. I I think that would have really hurt the uh, the film itself if he would have been graphic in that sense. Yeah, I think the way it was done was kind of tasteful. Yeah, no, I agree 100. percent As much as they can be, you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. But nobody wants to see a rabbit dog. On, on film. Nope. You know, no, thank you. He's bearing and like at the mouth. Nobody wants to see that. Um, so the there are multiple scenes that are in this film that I, I'll I'll never forget them. Uh, the very first time I watched them, they creeped me out. All the way till a couple of days ago when I watched this again, it creeps me out. Um, and and the first of that comes with the uh, there's a monster outside of my window. Can I have a glass of water? And then he goes in there. Um, and they're having this conversation about, you know, Morgan asks, you know, do you ever talk to mom or does, you know, why do you talk to mom at night or whatever? And, um, you know, does she ever answer? No. And he, she says she never answered me too. Um, and then all of a sudden he looks up out the window and there's just this alien figure on the roof. You basically just see the outline. That's, that was the first audible scream that I can remember ever having in a theater. And it happened. Every time I did, I saw it in theaters. I screamed. I, I hope it got quieter every time, but <laughs> but I'm a bitch, and so I doubt it did. And even this time, I just have goosebumps. Like it's 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 horrifying to me. Um, I don't I don't even know. It's just it's so good. It gives me goosebumps now just thinking about it. You know, like the sound cue right before we see the alien is perfect. The whole thing it just works for me. Um, ah, it's it's great. I love that scene. It is good because really all you see is like a silhouette of the alien. There's really no uh, descriptors on it. 
whatsoever. It's really just like a, almost like just a shadow that you see. Yeah. And it's so smart then, because you go from just a silhouette to a leg to a part of its body, you know, and then finally again, the full reveal. It's like Jaws. You don't show the monster at the beginning. Exactly. You let anticipation and like, you know, your own thoughts kind of guide you. You actually get the, the reveal at the end. Right. Which is, which is the way to go when it comes to. No, definitely. You know, definitely. But just the, the fact that, you know, you don't know exactly what's on the roof. And then you've got both guys running around the house trying to intercept it. And then they meet without even coming across the alien. Mm-hmm. And you know, I, that's, that's pretty good. And I also yeah, love that. I, oh, I'm sorry. Go yeah, ahead. I, I, no, I'd have to agree with that. I love the uh, the use of the, you know, less is more. It works really well. And I love the fact that. They set up the, uh, it's the first time. So there's a monster outside my window. Can I have a glass of water? It's, it's one line and it ties together the aliens or the, the monster with the water for the first time and which will obviously play an important role as, as it goes on. Um, and I, I don't think that was an, I don't think that was by accident. Um, one of the scenes that always made me laugh is when, um, they, so he sees the alien and he goes and wakes up, um, uh, Joaquin, how am I forgetting his fucking name? Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh god Meryl thank you oh. you're welcome he uh, goes and wakes up Meryl uh, Joaquin Phoenix is Meryl and uh, he um, uh, he they're gonna go chase him around the building right to go to try to catch it it's the whatever boys the Wilkinson boys or the whatever the fuck they call him and uh, sure. he it's such a big deal for him to because he's gonna cuss, right? And then he's like, "I don't, I don't swear. It's, it doesn't sound natural when I swear." And then he he does it, and it sounds so ridiculous. But I think I think it's so well done, and I think that can lead into my thought that uh, you know Mel Gibson, I think is just fantastic in this film. I frankly, I think all the acting is is fucking awesome, especially the kids who are just brilliant. Um, but I really like Joaquin and Mel Gibson as well. Uh, I think they just do such a fantastic job. And uh, that scene's kind of the first time where I'm like, yes, this this works. You know, he's Gibson is really going for it, and it it works really well. And, and that's the thing with Gibson's work; he's always been decent, but with his attitude or behavior in the last decade, it's really hurt him. Um, it's easy to I'm forget. I'm able to separate yeah. the. Well, yeah, and, and uh, but the thing is, like his his audio that he really uh, the guy got released is fucking hilarious, but it's so misogynistic. Yeah, um, like, it, yeah, it's I, because I can, like, it's so I, bad. It's easy to forget how good he is as an actor. Yeah, like like Edge of Darkness, such a good film. Um, like the Mad Max series, really good films. Braveheart. Um, I still haven't watched uh, his most recent war film yet. I, I bought it, but I haven't had the chance to watch it. Like he's a great filmmaker, you know. Um, and not everybody can separate the guy from, from his work. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, movies like this kind of, kind of, it hurts the long-term visibility just because of his association in now. Right. But Gibson, he's good in the science. Like, mm-hmm. He, to me, he's the standout of this film. Oh, you know, of the preacher that lost his faith and tries to, tries to make his family work yeah. in his own little and that's, view of everything. Yeah. You know? You've mentioned it a couple of times now and I'm, I'm definitely going to, I want to talk about that more, um, but kind of, I want to save that a little bit to the end. My uh, kind of my uh, thought with him losing his faith and everything, because um, it obviously sure. comes off first circle at the end. So that's, I'll, I definitely will talk about that more. Um, yeah. I think it's, it's obviously incredibly important. It's, you know, uh, very much about what the film is. So yeah. um, definitely want to talk about that more. Um, I love that Bo is watching that Dexter's Laboratory episode that has Dexter killing an alien bug. 
Um, it's just perfect. Um, and we get to see how, and at, with that, we also get to see how serious and significant a problem Bo has with her water. Cause there's just literally fucking glasses of water everywhere. Like it's crazy. Yeah. Uh, I'm thinking why isn't Meryl, is it Meryl? Yep. Uh, uh, no, Graham. Oh, Graham. Why okay. Isn't Graham, why isn't Graham picking up these glasses of water? And then he does, and he looks yeah. around, and he's like, yeah, fuck it. <laughs> it's just too much for him. Yeah, that, yeah that's, that's, yeah. yeah. We'll um, the um, scene where they tell the cop, Carolyn, uh, what they saw last night, or saw the night before, I I love that scene, too. I thought it made me fun. I thought it was very funny. It made me laugh. Um, they keep saying, it was very dark. It, w- it was dark. It was dark. Um, and then, excluding the possibility that a female Scandinavian Olymp- Olympian was running around our, outside our house last night, what other part of us... Like, I love that. that. To me, that's weird. See, to me, that's weird Shyamalan dialogue, which kind of I don't like. I'm like, why are you going off that tangent? Oh, I it thought it made perfect me, sense the, because the co- really? um, Caroline was like, well, it could be a woman because I've seen these athletes in the Olympics. There was a Scandinavian woman who jumped 12 feet or whatever the fuck it was. And that's when he's like, well, okay, excluding the possibility that a female but, Scandinavian, blah, blah, blah. Is there going to be a Scandinavian uh, Olympic uh, medalist in bumfuck Pennsylvania? Probably not. I, that I, was I Merrill's find... point. Yeah, exactly. That's why I love but that. I, I, I just find some of the dialogue in this film kind of kind of just off for me. I I just couldn't fully accept it. It just it just seemed very scripted, like to a point where like I can't really add lib because I got to put all these these nuances and I got to highlight these points. It just felt very very memorized to me hmm. because I don't think somebody uh, in that role would even like use that kind of deduction. I don't know. It just, it just didn't seem natural to me at all. Okay. Fair enough. I'm going to do my best to not take what you're saying personally. So no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, please don't. This is just my opinion. I, I know. I, this you know, I'm fucking with brotherhood. you. Yeah. You know, okay. I'm fucking with Mark, you. Mark, you're just letting you yes. know it's your opinion and your opinion's wrong. So. Thank you. I, I didn't have to say it, so I'm glad I didn't have to say it. Fair, fair enough. I expect to be in the minority on this. One, so. <laughs> no, um, I, I, well, I did think it was funny. Now thinking about it, though, I don't know. Yeah, I, I guess it kind of could feel a little stilted. But, but now I mean, thinking about it, you know, it's one of those, yeah. right? Tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kind of used to that, though, with, uh, you know, M. Night's films, though. That's how all of his films are. I mean, hell, look at uh, the Lady in the Water. I, uh, right. Is that the right movie I'm thinking of? That's I, cool. Lady in the Lake. La- Lady in the Lake. Is it Lady in the Lake or is it Lady in the Lake? Oh, Lady in the Water. You're right. Yeah, Lady, Lady in the Water. water. Okay, I had it yeah. first time. Yay! Um, Garbage. But the, uh, she, you know, it was, that whole movie was like that. But I actually enjoyed that movie. I thought that was actually kind of interesting. It was a neat kind of fairy tale film. It wasn't like a horror film, but... It, the, the guy the with the whole, one hand. The, the dialogue was all, it, yeah, you're you're right on the, you know, it's kind of off. But I think that's just his style. That's what works for him. It's one of my least favorite Paul Giamatti films. And I like, I like Paul Giamatti. And I fucking hate that movie. As as oh. huge of an M. Night Shyamalan fan as I am, I, I always consider myself a, a Shyamalan apologist. Um, and that's one of the ones Shyamalan I haven't seen. Dong. A what? Shyamalan Ding Dong? Yeah, yes. A him <laughs> apologist. <laughs> You beat me to it. <laughs> that's one I haven't seen yet. There's a couple of his, a few of his, I think that I haven't seen yet, and that's one of them. But yeah, I still think as as I might uh, slowly criticize the film as we speak. Um, I I love his resurgence. I, I thought the visit was really good. And I oh, yes, I love the visit. Amazing. And I have to see that so, one. Yeah, I still haven't seen that one. But oh, dude, that 
Superboy is so fucking good in that movie. Um, so I would fucking run to your video store if there's one in your area. If that, yeah. Uh, yeah. So this um, one came yeah. out two thousand two. Oh, I'm sorry, I cut yeah. you off. Go ahead. No, no, no. I'm just saying, like you know, he might have dipped in the uh, in, well. In my opinion, I feel he 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 dipped for a uh, fucking fifteen years. Um, but his last two releases are fucking solid, like really good. I that I actually bought them. Blind, blinded and you know he did that tv series too what what was it oh i'm Which forgetting one? it was a mini series i think they're actually extended to more than one season it's based on a book series i'm forgetting what it's called though um but i think it was him that did that did a tv series anyway um okay he uh so this one came out in 2002 and then obviously his next film was the village dude I, I so that was 2004 because I was just finishing high school. I was in the final. Okay, anyway, and that one, the hype I had built for that fucking movie, dude, and like they they released the secrets of M Night Shyamalan, this like bullshit documentary about his life. I like hated that. Oh, uh, it was horrible, but I ate it the fuck up, man. And like, I could not have been more excited. I don't think I've ever been more excited to see a film than I was to see The Village when that came out. And that was probably my first gigantic cinematic letdown i did not like that film when i saw it in theaters I liked the village i like the village too i yeah, haven't i, I the village have was fantastic. watched parts of it since and liked the parts i've seen more but i haven't sat down and watched the full thing again i think i'll appreciate it more as well. but yeah i'd have to rewatch it i think i've only seen the once maybe twice uh but i remember liking it more uh, than uh, our current subject okay yeah, did not. Oh God, I just hated it so much. I was like, really? That's what's happening. But anyway, um, no, no other spoilers for any of his other films. But um, <laughs> so uh, moving ahead here. So we have. Oh, I really thought um, Carolyn. I don't. I don't have uh, the actress's name in front of me right now. But the the cop uh, who played Carolyn. I, I thought she was a really good actress. I really liked her role with this. Um, what was her name? I just had it here. Oh, Cherry Jones. I think she was really good in her role here. Um, she's genuine. She cares about what's happening in this family. It's a very, uh, just, you know, small town cop. And, uh, I really like that because it, again, it just feels like someone that, that cares. And so, you know, power to her. Um, oh, she was in an episode of Black Mirror. Really? One of the, the American or the original? Uh, that I couldn't tell you. Or, uh, not the American, the, the, the season that we reviewed or the newest season. Okay. That's interesting, though. But yeah, I just pulled her up because I was like, I know her before. Maybe, yeah, maybe not. But mm-hmm. oh, she was. In um, the I, she was also in the village. Okay, so maybe that's where. I'm yeah, I think she was a bigger role in the village too, if I remember right. But um, anyway, uh, the I thought it was a really strong way that um, Shyamalan shows the realization amongst the adults that the quote unquote same show is on every station. Um, I, because obviously if the same shows in every station, you know, something's wrong, right. As an adult. And I thought that was really cool. The way he did it, very simple and effective kind of showing every, um, character coming to the realization that, Oh, something must be wrong here. Um, I also really liked the, the choice that Shyamalan made with the, um, the camera shot showing the family driving into the city, um, with an overhead shot, you know, it's, it's how the aliens are seeing things, you know, from above like that and showing them driving into the city, I thought was really cool. Um, just aesthetically pleasing and, uh, made sense. So I like that. Um, the, ah, what happened? only time we leave the house is when they go exclude, you know, the, the farm, I guess, is when we go to the city, the town. 
And uh, oops, I lost both of you. Hopefully, there we are. And it's when we go to town. And so the that's the only time that the characters really separate. And so I think that's a really interesting moment, uh, interesting scene or set of scenes, I guess. Um, and one thing I love was just the characters that we meet in the town are just they are characters. Like they're just crazy people. They're weird. Um, yeah, they're weird as fuck. Yeah, the. Uh, the soda commercial conspiracy theorist in the bookstore, fucking hilarious. I loved him. Uh, and then thirteen. I just, oh, it's so stupid, but I love it. Um, you get the the girl. I forget her name. I have it written down, but I don't know where it is. Uh, oh, Tracy Abernathy. Uh, you know uh, the pharmacist and uh, telling you know burying her soul to the former reverend. So awkward. Um, and then of course the. Uh, uh, Cunningham, the recruitment officer. Um, there are just there's not a lot of normal people in the city. He was the weird one for me. Well, and I'm like, oh, sorry. The acting is so odd with him, and then with what's his name from White Hot American Summer. Um, shit, the the guy that was in the recruitment room with him, I, uh, Michael Showater. I thought that scene was so fucking out of place between the military guy with he had horrible acting, and then. Uh, uh, Showwater, it, it it just seemed weird to me. Like, like who's wearing this town? Is it is it uh, Graham and his family, or is it the actual town itself? You know, it it, it was almost when he got into town, it was kind of Twin Peaks ish in a way. Like how oh, that's odd interesting. everybody yeah. was acting. Well, you know, not obviously not to that extent, but speaking of, as somebody who uh, almost witten, witnessed a friend of his get in a uh, local shotgun wedding in West Virginia. Uh, small towns in the U.S. can be a little fucking weird. Yeah, yeah, I, I don't know. I just, it just, they just seem to be acting a lot weirder than how I would perceive people to act. Uh, I don't know. I, especially the the uh, the uh, the army recruiter really bugged me. Yeah, I mean, he was he was strange, but I think purposely strange. Um, I'm screwing with the video setting because it's not all, all of a sudden it's not changing between us for some reason. So that's what I was oh, okay. doing here. I apologize for that. Um, but yeah, he was, it is in, again, in, in, me, no. intentionally <laughs> strange. Um, and I don't know uh, that I have a reason for it. I, you know, it didn't bother me, I guess. Um, it was just the way it was. But the, um, the, and some of our longtime, speaking of that specific scene, some of our longtime listeners might remember, um, well, what I wrote it down here. Uh, yeah. So, um, I, and I wish I could just pipe it in right now, but there's some old dialogue of, I think it was Ash, Chris, and I from way back when we acted out that scene, uh, there as a giveaway. Do you remember that, Ash? Yeah. It was, it was quite a while ago. <laughs> and I was doing it. It was fun, though. Watched the movie, so. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But. One thing I do think that's really strange about that uh, that scene where they're in like the recruitment office is that is he's it seems that he's genuinely considering joining the army. Yeah, I don't think he likes his uh, current living situation because you know he was a baseball player and now he's not getting the accolades that he was he once had. Mm-hmm. Not, where is he working on as a mechanic or as a bar hop? I think he's at a gas station. Is what it's what gas- it sounded like. Gas station. So. Maybe he's going to the army because it's a better option to see the world and maybe be recognized. Right. I don't know. But being, you know, he's in his what I would say he's in his late twenties, early thirties in this in this film. That'd be and my guess. Yeah. A, a, a gas jockey probably mm-hmm. isn't what he expected his life to be at this time. So he's probably looking for a change just to shake things up. 
Yeah, there very well could be. Absolutely. Yeah. So then we get the uh, the introduction of Shyamalan's character, uh, the man who changed their lives forever. And I thought the weight of that moment was just handled expertly. No mention of who he actually is. And then the slow push out from the door, like the camera pushes out from the door. And then it's on to the next scene. It just, it builds the drama well. And they do that, you know, uh, as they try to build like the the scene with what happened to the mother. Um, but I thought it was just so well done. And it it makes me want to know who this guy is because I have no clue, right? But obviously it's something of importance. And I love that. Yeah. No, I don't know if I agree with Shyamalan casting himself in that role. Shyamalan um, always I, puts himself in it. And I, he was a little bigger in this one than he has been in the past. Yeah. And I don't like it. Um, I just don't think he's a good actor. That's why. I don't. I, I just felt it looked, he felt amateurish in this role. I could see him as maybe, maybe he could have been like, uh, you know, uh, a, a passerby or maybe somebody at a store. Mm-hmm. You know, with a short interaction, but he had, it was quite a role because he's the, like, who is this guy and why is he interacting with Graham and what happened to Graham's wife? So he's really integral to the scene or to the film itself, to the story. Right. Um, I, I just, I just didn't like him. Um, I don't like him as an actor. I don't think he's good. Yeah, that's fair enough. Um, I mean, I didn't. I never really had a problem with him. Um, obviously, the first time I saw that film, I had no idea that he was the director. I didn't know the director at this point. You know what I mean? And back in 2002. Yeah. Um, but, um, you know, I can I can definitely see how he's not the strongest actor. I would agree with you there. But Because I just find so many good performances in this film. Mm-hmm. And then he comes in with a pretty, pretty meaty role. And it, 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 it's, it's, it's flat for me. It's very flat. Yeah. Um, so that next scene... Um, is obviously the baby monitor scene. And I always liked that one. Um, I thought it was, I don't know. I thought it's always an interesting scene to me. So it's when Meryl, he starts to believe that something more, I'll call it supernatural, something different may be happening. And the image of the whole family being connected, uh, giving the monitor the most strength, I thought, I think it's just awesome. Um, all coming together in a genuinely creepy moment where the family hears the aliens talking, even if they don't know exactly that's what they're hearing. Um, I just, I like that scene a lot. Um, and it has, has Bo's line, which I love, you know, he's like, why can't they get girlfriends? <laughs> you know, cause he's talking about, you know, it's, it's just a bunch of nerds that can't get girlfriends making up shit. I love that. But I love that scene. And, and I, I guess at the time it's kind of true because nerd culture really didn't, it wasn't, uh, wasn't anywhere, uh, back in O2. Right. I'm trying to think when that really took to cold and and first came on oh nine. Oh, that when, could be. Yeah, you know, the nerds kind of took over the world. Right. Of, you know what That's I mean? A like, good point. Like it is now because in two thousand two, um, it was still an outskirt thing. So that that mentality was still kind of prevalent at the time, I suppose. Yeah. And I could tell myself a big nerd. Um, I know. With a, <laughs> awesome. I was going to say, when do we uh, think so, we took over the world? I don't even know. I would think when Marvel did, to be honest. Yeah, you're probably right. Right, because and well, when co- when cosplayers took over, that's pretty much when. Uh, I think it started it, honestly. I think it started with X Men, and it just kind of kept going. You know, you've got the X Men movies, and then they and you had Star Wars three were out around that time. That's true too. Kinda, so. Yeah, though I mean, yeah, to be honest, I was in middle school when uh, the Star Wars Episode One came out, and it's still. I, I'd never seen a Star Wars movie at that point. I didn't really care about it, but it still felt like my group of friends did, and it felt like we were. Uh, not outcast, but it was not something that like the cool kids were doing. You know what I mean? Going to see uh, Star Wars. 
So it's, it still felt outside to me. But again, I was what sixth or seventh grade, and so like everything you do feels like you're an outcast at that time. But so maybe in high school. Um, but you know, I I think as you're right about the whole Star Wars thing because then you know I remember on Total Re- Request Live with Carson <laughs> Daly. Uh, oh, you're the, old. Back of the cl- uh, I know, right? I'm dating myself. <laughs> um, the actual theme to the uh, to the first episode f- f- debuted on that show, and then became number one, I think, for a few for a few days. Oh wow! So yeah, and then you had the whole uh, Pepsi had all the cans with all the Star Wars characters. Mm-hmm. So maybe that was a bit of a resurgence at that point. So maybe it was '99. Yeah. Um, still, a nerd's a nerd up until you're not. You know, it was socially acceptable, which I feel was still kind of recent in the last decade. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, but it, yeah. it might have the footprints of its blueprint would probably be around that time. Yeah. I used to fucking love TRL. Used to Me watch too, man. Brittany was in the sync. Yeah, exactly. Um, so you know, talking about scenes that I'll never forget. Um, the second of those is the uh, alien in the cornfield. Um, I just think that scene is so fucking effective. It's creepy as hell. Um, it just does a great job of escalating the tension. Um, it gives us a tiny glimpse of what's to come, and I think it's just wonderfully put together. You know, Mer- uh, Graham drops the the uh, flashlight, picks it up, pounds on it, boom, and there it is. Shoom, you know, just just off camera. Oh man, creeps me out every fucking time. Love that scene. I have to admit, I didn't recall a lot of them, mm-hmm. but to me, like the alien scene that uh, that, that I recalled in my mind was the whole the Mexican. Beat. Oh, that was like, yeah, that's, that's the next one that I'll, they'll say that too. Absolutely. And that's another, I literally remember screaming and like pulling, pulling a Meryl at that, or uh, yeah, Meryl definitely like jumping back in my seat, like feet up. I'm like, what the fuck is going on? Like, I can't watch it again, man. And then I, of course I had to watch it again. Like, yeah, I'm a little bitch. Let's, lest we forget. All right. Uh, And I'll show you by doing that. You know what I mean? But we um, we haven't forgot. We haven't forgot. (laughs) Thanks, Ash. Thanks, Ash. Um, so, and what I love about that scene also is the is the next scene. So we get Graham tr- uh, struggling with how to handle what he just saw, and it's done in one long take. And I think that's so great because, as I've said countless times over the past hundred episodes, I get such a boner for for long takes, and uh, that's one of them. And uh, he can't freak out. Because he has children, but he's still clearly terrified. And that leads to getting the television on, which leads to us, you know, some more scary moments for me. Um, and, and one small thing I love when they're watching TV is that Graham and Meryl sit the exact same way with their hands on their knees in this unique way. Um, and I love that because okay. it just shows them as brothers. I don't know if you guys notice that, but I've, I've noticed that a lot and I love that. I didn't realize that. Um, so this scene then leads into the, uh, the two groups speech that I love. Um, this is actually a monologue when we were picking monologues for uh, film class in grad school that I, I attempted or I was going to do. I ended up picking up something different, but I started with this one. Um, and it just sets up who Graham has become in such a short amount of time. Um, and, and that's, and that's who he is now at his core. And it's, he's not holding anything back. And it's the first time you really get that from his character because he's always around his kids or around a, a, somebody from the city. And he's, you know, he's the father, the former reverend. And so like, it's the first time where he really kind of lets go. He doesn't let go physically, but it's an emotional thing. And I feel like it's done so well. Um, you know, uh, 
and ending with that, is it, you know, is it possible that there are no coincidences? Um, and it's just an excellent line. And then, and then Meryl, uh, you know, in, interjects with the example of a miracle, right? Because the girl, he had, a, he had the gum in his mouth and, uh, <laughs> he knows it's a miracle because if he was, if he didn't have the gum in his mouth then she would have thrown up in his mouth and blah, blah, blah. Um, mm-hmm. I just, I love that. And then it sets up swing away for the first time. Uh, and then he says, you know, there is no one watching out for us. We are all on our own. And ah, I'd love it. I love that scene. Um, and it leads into the first flashback, um, which frankly, this time through, as many times as I've seen it, I always thought there was more flashback scenes than there really are. But there's only, I think I counted three. And for some reason, I always thought there was like five. I don't know why I had that number in my head. Um, but this first one is real short. Um, and I, 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 I like that scene a lot. What did you guys think about that scene? Did it hit you at all? Well, I didn't recall the flashback being sliced into this. Oh, okay. As one, um, so I, I, I was kind of annoyed that it kept cutting out when I wanted to know more about it. Mm-hmm. Um, it, 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 to me, it just leads up to a whole bunch of disappointment because it's leading up to the Shyamalan twist, you know? Mm-hmm the reason why all these things are happening. And to me, it kind of ties the film up in a bow. That's a little too pretty. Okay. Um, so this is one of the reasons why I really dislike this film is because it's lead up is so decent. And then I find the end is such a garbled mess of coincidences and two perfect situations. Um, which I guess we'll discuss later on. Yeah, but, absolutely. But uh, the initial like flashback, I never recalled it being just the or it being split up so much. I remember it being as one long, one long scene. Yeah, and I apologize for my camera work there. I was trying to Google why the camera won't switch, and I forgot to switch to you, so I apologize. But <laughs> it's all good. Anyway, um, switched on my screen. <laughs> really? I don't know because I looked it up on YouTube, and it wasn't switching when we were talking earlier. So I don't know. I don't know what's going on with it. But well, either way, here, but maybe just not live. I don't know. Right. Um. So that next scene is Meryl, um, getting sucked into the um the news footage, and I've always liked that. Um, I just I felt it's very realistic because it's the I feel like I'd be the exact same way. Um, and then like the story of the bird coming and then hitting something and falling the way he tells that. It's just that invisible barrier. It always scared me. Um, I really like that. Um, another line I enjoyed was um, so the kids are wearing their like tinfoil hats and he's reading that book that he bought at the shop. And um, Meryl asks or I'm sorry, Graham asks, who wrote this book? And um Morgan says, scientists who have been persecuted, persecuted for their beliefs. And Meryl, or Graham says, that means they're unemployed. I just love that exchange between them. I thought it was really cute. Um, I think I, I really like the family dynamic in this. I think it works so well. I just bought into it 100%. Yeah. The other thing. I, I, I would have to say, I, I like their dynamic. Mm-hmm. Um, I also love that the book, it sets up these uh, two scenarios. Um, it's And it's basically what's going to drive Graham forward. Um, this thought of there only being two possibilities, one thing, um, you know, either it, they're there for peace or they're, they're there to uh, take over. Um, and one thing this sets up though, which I never th- I thought really worked because they don't really go far enough with it is that the book has this picture of a house that it kind of looks like their house and it has three dead bodies on the, on the lawn after an attack. Like it's a creepy idea. 
but I feel like it's one of the few things that Shyamalan doesn't really come up doesn't come up with any answer to, um, and it's one of the few things that I feel like doesn't really have a purpose. Um, do you guys recall that and have any explanation for it or any thoughts on it at all? I don't remember. Okay. I'll be honest with you, do I? Oh, okay. Fair enough. Sorry. <laughs> no, I know. I've just seen it a lot, so I just I recall it. But um, so Ray calls, and then he hangs up, and and the camera. I like what I like Shyamalan did with the camera here. So he calls, we see him on the phone, and then it's like kind of pulling back, and it pulls into the room where the mother obviously worked, or it was her room, whatever it was, with the dress on the uh, the stand, the whatever it's called, like the doll, the mannequin. And uh, I really like that scene. I thought it's just it's an intelligent shot. Another one, and I think Shyamalan has a really good good uh, knowledge of what to do with the camera most of the time. Yeah, he. Uh, he's a he's always had a a good thing I think with just imagery and the way he sets up a shot. You know, he's always been pretty. Yeah. Were you gonna say something, Mark? Just that I honestly don't remember the scene. Oh, okay. I I I don't remember the specific. Absolutely. Um. So I contribute nothing to this. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. So he also sets up this this other other thing in this one with Bo. That she has these feelings. Um, and they mentioned that just a couple times, but it's again, it's like, how, why bring this up? It doesn't really have a payoff, I feel like, and I'm not sure why that is. But they introduce it and then it goes away. But, you know, it is what it is. Um, well, she has the feeling about her, her brother dying. Right. Yep, exactly. Exactly. Which, again, anyway, well, we'll discuss later. Yeah. Um. And I know, Mark, you talked about how you didn't really like him as an actor in this, but I really, I always love the scene when Ray and Graham come together for the first time. Um, and I always loved it because the, the story behind the scenes is that um, Mel Gibson didn't know who was playing Ray. And so the first time he walked in, up to the car was the very first time that he found out that Shyamalan was playing Ray. Um, and I, I, I like that little bit of trivia. But the zoom in on Graham's face while Ray tells the story of that night that he, he killed his wife and he says the line, it's like it was meant to be. I mean, it's just perfect. Again, if you don't like the way the film's going to end, then you're not going to like it. But since I love it, I like that. Uh, it, okay. Because it is, you know, it's just like it was meant to be. You know, the mom basically, it's almost a sacrifice to save everybody else in a way. Um, and it's interesting. And uh, again, if you're going with it, you, you probably enjoyed it. If you're not, then it probably irks you a little bit. Yeah, again, the last third of the film really irks me a lot. Yeah. Like, it's all meant to be just for this one moment. It's like, oh. Um, Saving the whole not, family. Yeah. 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 Again, just just not my thing. Personally. Right. Right. It, it, it just didn't rub me the right way. Yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, But I think that scene when, when Ray apologizes, again, it's just Gibson is excellent, man. He's just going all in and he is so damn good in this role. Uh, and I think that's another great example of that. He delivers with this one. And then that leads over to the aforementioned Brazilian party scene. Another scream where I literally uh, screamed out loud in the theater. And um, it just, it is fucking terrifying to me. And I don't know why. Uh, Meryl's reaction is spot on. Uh, you know, like I said, I have the, virtually the exact same reaction. Um, and it's just one of my favorite scenes in any movie, period. I adore it. So much. Now, do you find his acting 
Was he kind of overreacting with the- Fuck no. 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 That's what I'm telling you. That's what I did, man. I wanted to like stand up in the theater and be like, what the fuck? Like I was freaking (laughs) out. You know what I mean? Like, no, he was not overreacting at all. I don't think. Okay. Okay. I I don't know. I was a kindred spirit. And and I can totally appreciate that. (laughs) I really can. Uh, You you know, this film hits you on a level that hits people at different different, uh, tones. Exactly. Exactly. I, I, I totally understand. Yep, definitely. Um, I love how um, mad Morgan gets when Cram uh, says that his vote counts for two. He jumps up and starts swearing at him. Uh, great moment. Um, trying to trying to just skip through some of these things here. Um, just because we, we are running really long and it's late. So let's see what else we got. Oh, that's okay. Um, so one moment that I, I want to talk about. So I know it's it's the principle of the matter. But this seems like such a dumb time for Graham to not let his kids do something that they've clearly done for their entire lives and what makes them feel comfortable. And that's praying and that dinner and that dinner scene, which sets up like, you know, uh, uh, Graham's first breakdown. They cry and then they come and hug together and all the full families together and then the aliens attack. Um, but if you're, you know, religion or not, it's, it's been all about making the kids feel safe this entire time. So why yes. would he choose to stop doing that now? Um, you know, fortunately the whole thing comes together with his emotional family hug at the end. So that's like the whole point, but I don't know. It just felt a little out of character at that moment. So so maybe just, you know, their own ways of coping with the situation, you know, as different as they might be, they're still family and, Mm -hmm. you know, family level tramp in the end or or something. I I don't know exactly. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I was, Uh, yeah. Um, I love the, uh, The very simple line where he, um, you know, talks about his upcoming film. Um, they say it's happening. I did, it's simple, effective, and it, I love that moment. And I was joking about the upcoming film because he has a film called The Happening. A couple films later, anyway. And it's it's horrible. No, no, it's not. Ash, back me up. The Happening is not horrible. Yes, it is. No, I I actually like The Happening. I'm sorry. Boom. Ma- Mark Wahlberg is fucking horrible in The Happening. No. And uh, fucking Girls with Deschanel. She, it is not. I like the idea of the happening. Oh. It is a horrible fucking film. I like that See, one I, myself. I, I I don't love it. I like no, me it. either. I don't love it. But yeah. exactly. Um. So and then it goes from there to Graham uh, back. He's trying to comfort his kids immediately again. Um. You know. So maybe it's just a a point, and it, it kind of makes sense though if you think about it, because it's a point where he breaks down. And he, you know, kind of forgets about the kids and just starts, you know, no, we're not praying. We're not praying. You know, it's not happening. But then he's right back to it, you know, trying to tell the story about how, you know, the mom reacted when they were born. Um, You know, he got lost for a minute, but he's back on track now. So, you know, it works for me. Uh, And then they forget the dog. I don't know how they forget the dog, but the poor dog dies. That was sad. Um, So both dogs. Yeah. Again, off screen, which is probably good. Yeah, exactly. Good for the box office that way. Right. Um, I love that, that small touch of the alien hand coming through the bottom of the door right before they head uh, down to the cellar. I think that's a great touch. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love, I love Morgan's line. I hope they're doing better than we are. We don't even have helmets. He was so obsessed with the fact that they didn't have their tinfoil helmets. Uh, I enjoyed that. Uh, the camouflage on the alien hand when he's, um, you know, in the mine shaft. I enjoyed that. Um, and then there's something that I feel like we should talk about. And it's something we, you mentioned a couple times earlier. So, Merrill losing his faith. And so, 
my argument that I'm going to make is not that Merrill ever lost his faith. I don't think he lost it. I don't think he became a non-believer. I think he be- started hating God. And he says, and the reason I think that, and this first time I thought that going through this film, the fact that Merrill starts, he starts saying, I hate you when he's like looking up and saying, I hate you when um, he's holding Morgan in his arms and Morgan's about to, you know, he thinks about to die because he's having this panic attack. And he's like, don't do this again. I hate you. And so to me, that tells me that he never stopped believing because you can't hate something you don't believe is real. Right. So it's, I felt like he didn't stop believing, but it's just that he was mad at God for what he did to his family. Yeah. And to me, you know, that makes sense or makes more sense than him being a non-believer, I guess, which I'm not, isn't necessarily what you were saying, but I see that a lot when I read about the film online. Um, Well, that's the thing is he turned his back to God, right? It's not like he doesn't believe God's there anymore. mm -hmm. He's still there. He's just mad at him. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And that's just the first time I noticed that, I guess. So that's why the first time I uh, mentioned it, I guess, why I wanted to mention it, because the first time I thought about it. Um, okay. uh, you know, he, Carolyn, uh, he asked, so we go to another flashback and he says, Carolyn, is this the last time I'm going to talk with my wife? And Carolyn says, yes, it is. I thought that's another moment that hit me harder this time watching the film than it ever has in the past. Um, I don't know what it was about yeah. it, but I almost teared up. Like, it's very emotional. I also, the sheriff had an, peculiar way of delivering lines like i like cherry jones i like her from 24 where she played the president mm-hmm. i just thought there was just something about the, the line delivery w- with his interactions again with the with the whole norwegian thing and even at that scene when he's about to say goodbye to his wife it just seemed peculiar to me you know uh i don't know it just, it just seemed off yeah for me i don't know I, fair absolutely fair for me it, it works for me i thought because how do you tell someone as a cop that this is the last time you're going to speak to your wife? And I thought yeah. that was a way to do it. Like it, it just worked for me. And you, I, you stepped away for a minute earlier uh, when you were talking about how much I actually liked uh, Cherry Jones and her role. I thought she was very genuine, very sincere, um, and really cared about this family, especially when you know, I said that in the earlier scenes um, because she knew what they had gone through and lost the mother. And I thought that she played it really well. But And that's something I noticed because I found that she was very – she took her time with this family. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, when they're reporting, you know, someone on the roof of their house, right. but had no descriptors. I'm like, what am I supposed to do with this? Yeah. You know? And that's Bucks County, but, PA, right? Not, probably not a whole lot goes on. Probably not. But, um, so I, it just seemed, it, it just seemed, I don't know. Like, she, she was really dealing with that family with kid gloves mm-hmm. just because maybe the, the recent trauma they went through. Because did they say how long he, he uh, the wife had passed away? When, um, when I feel, or when I want to say it was around is it a, nine a or ten months because I think or six months I think because I think he says at one point he says I haven't been a father for six months or whatever and so I would assume okay. he probably stopped once she died that's my guess I, they don't say for sure but yeah yeah that makes sense yeah so I remember the very first time I saw this I genuinely thought everything was done and everyone was safe and so when Graham pulled out that TV and we see the fucking alien reflection on it, I freaked the fuck out again. Um, and I thought it was still effective today. Uh, yeah, the other day when I watched it, you know, um, I thought the CGI on the television looked funky. Um, but I thought when they showed the alien in full later on, I thought it looked fine. Okay. Yeah, something from 2002. I didn't. It didn't bother me. I guess. Actually, what I found interesting is that the color of the alien skin it was a lot a darker gray. Than I thought it would be. Like, you know, because you think always uh, like a, like more of a like a 
metallic silver. I'm not, I wouldn't say metallic silver, but more of a, a, a lighter skin gray. Mm-hmm. And this one seemed a lot darker. Yeah. Which you don't well, even can... see those alien forms in such a dark, mm-hmm. like pewter color almost, you know? Yeah. Well, it is a, um, uh, a camouflaging alien, obviously. And so maybe that was just, yeah. you know, where the color was at that point. Who knows? But sure. Yeah. Um, did, uh, I don't even want to ask, but what did you think about the fact that the alien that came back was the one that he chopped off the fingers of earlier? I was okay with that. If I was that alien, I, it would make sense that he was targeting that family because he lost two fingers. Yeah, you know? I um, agree. I, I'm curious to see how fucking Shaman was able to capture the alien in his cellar. That's what I would like to know. You know, I don't want to see the, the dogs die. But I want to see that fucking struggle. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, uh, the alien coming back for vengeance... I'm cool with that because I'd probably do the same thing. Yeah, I like that too. I don't have a problem with it. Alien nose that you can't see. Exactly. Um, so at the end here, I admittedly I do think Shyamalan he's he spells everything out a little too maybe a little too heavy 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 handedly at the end. Um, sure. You know, I'm a smart enough viewer to be able to connect the fact that the alien is missing his fingers um, and that this whole thing ties into the monologue that Graham gave in the middle of the film about, do you see signs? Um, I feel like he could have trusted the audience a bit more there, but you know, I didn't, didn't ruin it from anything like that. Um, uh, yeah. What else? So, well, there's, there's two things with that. Yeah. So, so first of all, you've got, you know, you've got the little girl who keeps leaving all the glasses of water around because they're contaminated or they take, and then Graham not picking those up. Because you'll need that as ammo when the alien attacks you. Right. Uh, and then the whole last words of the wife, you know, don't forget to swing or whatever. Yeah, it was. swing away. Yeah. So, yeah. So, so then a Yokim is going to use those glasses of water as baseballs to hit the alien. And then the fucking alien trying to invade a planet that's made of 90%, you know what I mean? It's, it's fucking, there's a lot of water on the planet, you know? And where that, else oh, and is then, there life know, on like, the planet like there is on Earth? Though, you know, they had to invade here, maybe. Yeah. And, and then you've got, you know, like, oh, I'm afraid that you're going to die, brother. And then, you, of course, the kid has asthma and then gets sprayed. But because he his lungs had, you know, shut down, he didn't ingest the poison. So he survives. And I'm thinking that kid should probably be dead because he hasn't breathed air in over three minutes or something. It just is all like, oh, look how it's intertwining. Look all the signs. You see all the signs all over the place? I'm like, I, I, again, love the build. I hated that clean, tied bow ending to it. Yeah. I just, ugh, No, gross. yeah, a lot of people yeah. did. Um, and I can see that. But <laughs> I, uh, I was not one of them. I loved it. Um, yeah, that's good. Yeah. I'm glad you, did. you know, the very, I love the very first time I saw it. And I just, I don't know. The, I think it's, it's more like the um uh, the emotions that it gave me while I was watching it. You know, the scares that it gave me while I was watching it. I enjoyed that so much yeah. that you know, virtually anything could have happened later on, and I would have been fine with it. You know, I was just all in. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's interesting to note that the aliens aren't coming to uh, you know take over the planet. The theory is, according to that quick radio snippet they listened to, is that the aliens were coming to harvest from the planet. They were there to take people and pu- take them back. Um, and so I think that's interesting, too. Because, um, you know, everybody always bitches about the fact that it's, oh, you know, they invaded a, pl- a planet that's 70% water, blah, blah, blah. What if it rained? There's there's water everywhere, blah, 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 you know, whatever. One interesting theory I read about that was that they're not aliens because they don't ever specifically say this is an alien. And that they're actually demons 
that are killed by holy water because the water's from the, uh, uh, you know, the, the, the father's house, you know, blah, blah, blah. Do I think that's it? Absolutely not. But it's an interesting theory to read, you know. I found that on Reddit, actually. Um, oh, but, you know, people stupid. bitching yeah. about that. Uh, that'd be like bitching about War of the Worlds, the fact that bacteria and germs kill the alien invaders in War of the Worlds. They still tried to invade just yeah. because they were severely accept- susceptible to our germs doesn't mean that people aren't fucking nuts. Right. I ain't hell. We, yeah. <laughs> Mark's trying to justify it. Let's watch him justify. Uh, <laughs> I'd rather hear. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make up this theory right now Good. that the aliens are not really aliens. But they're us, a thousand years in the future, being so evolved. Oh. But we've lost our reproductive organs. So then we have to go and cultivate the women so that we can inseminate them to continue the race in the future. I like that. That makes more sense than fucking demons and holy water. Because he is no longer a priest. So how did he bless that water? I know. I love it. Bah. Yep. That's, Fuck you, Reddit. That's oh, Reddit oh, for oh, you. Fox. That's the internet. You can get any fucking theory you want. But yeah, it's interesting. It makes sense um, yeah. <laughs> So, okay, so at the end, we, okay, yeah, so at the end, you know, we get this, we get the normalcy that we were missing from the start of the film. He's awake, he's taking a shower, he comes out of the bathroom wearing his father gear, um, and the sounds of the kids laughing can be heard downstairs, which it was silent before. And that's normal, and that's what we expect, you know? And it ends the film on a high note, and it it brings everything full circle, which I enjoyed. Um, So let's uh, let's wrap this up. So... uh, Ash, what are your final thoughts and your star ratings for Signs? Um, I think it was a pretty solid uh, M Night film. Um, the cast I thought was pretty good. They did, you know, it, there was some awkward stuff, but overall it was pretty good. Uh, I enjoyed it. I don't think it's his best, um, but I thought it was pretty good. Uh, I give it three out of four. All right, perfect. And uh, so three out of four from. Ash, and what about you, Mark? Your final thoughts and your star rating for Signs? Oh, oh, here it comes. I think, <laughs> I think this is the start of his downfall, where everybody predict expected a twist. And to this day, people still. Um, I like the build up to the film. I hated the last twenty five minutes, half hour, however long the film. Um, I thought it just touched all the bases way too easy and connected the dots and just made it all all fit in a small little box. Um, as strong as the performances were and as much as score was decent, I thought this, that, that last third really hobbled the film, uh, like Annie Wilkes did, uh, in, uh, really hurt it for me. Um, it's one of my least favorite films of Shyamalan. I give it one star. Ooh, God damn. That is. Yeah. I really despise this movie. Wow. It, it, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, boo. That's all right. Uh, That's all right. I got. I got to be honest. That's right. All right. Yeah. So, you know, I've disliked movies and other media that preach to me for as long as I can remember. I know I'm not a religious person, and I don't care to watch things that try to shove that down my throat. Um, I've loved Signs ever since I first saw it, though, and I think it's because it doesn't force anything on you. Um, the only thing it believes in is that everything happens for a reason. And that's the message I take away from this movie. Sure, the main character is clearly dealing with questioning his faith, and Shyamalan proves that you can have that in a film, and it'd be interesting without it taking a preachy approach. Um, and that's why I love it so much. This is really a story at its core about a how a family is dealing with the loss of the matriarch of the household during an incredibly stressful and fearful time. And it delivers on that story incredibly well. 
Um, as I said before, there are four or five moments in this film that I will never forget. And the more I watch this, the more seared in to my brain these images are, uh, like the alien on the roof, the foot in the cornfield, the Brazilian party scene, um, and then the reflection of the alien holding Morgan in the television. Those are great. Those are some of the defining images of my love for film, frankly. Um, this came out at a time when I was just starting to really appreciate genre filmmaking, and it had such a big influence on what I love to watch today. Um, you know, it was this Texas Chainsaw Massacre remake, Dawn of the Dead, The Ring. Like, those were the four movies that stick out to me so much that I watched so much in uh, my my youth, you know, and when I was in high school that really affected what how I love movies today and what I love. Um, but it's, I, you know, I think it's a beautifully shot film with an incredible score. That one I want to own on vinyl very badly. Um, and there's some genuinely terrifying moments. And I just fucking love this movie. It's one of my favorites all time. And I'm reminded why with every repeated viewing. I just love it. So I'm giving signs four out of four stars. So that's that. Oh, I keep making this thing bounce. But anyway, <laughs> that is our three reviews, Malibu Express, Jaws, and Signs. But we have one thing we have to do real quick before we log off for the day, because our next episode will continue our fan favorite Best in the Backlog Challenge. So okay. we were supposed to have a fourth guest here tonight who was picking the films, because I asked him to. He's going to pick a film for all of us to watch, but of course he's not here. So he texted me his picks. So... He has chosen what we will be watching for round 31 of the Best Thing the Backlog Challenge. So, Ash, he picked for you Lilo and Stitch. Oh, okay. Good? Okay, good. Perfect. I was worried that yeah, you'd already I've seen it. Before, so, yeah. Perfect. So, Ash will be watching Lilo and Stitch. Mark, have you seen Raiders, the story of the greatest fan film? Not yet. Oh, you will by next time. That's for damn sure. Okay. And then he picked the Grand Budapest Hotel for me. Really good. Yep. So I'm excited. So thank you, Chris, uh, for picking our films for round 31 of the Best in the Backlog Challenge, which of course will be on the episode 101 coming up in just a few weeks. So, wow, this was so much fun. Thank you guys. Um, that's going to wrap things up for the first 100 episodes of the Cinefessions podcast. We are so grateful that you guys have allowed us to talk to you for this long, over hundreds and hundreds of hours. And we hope that you uh, let us have at least another 100 more episodes in us. Thank you for your listenership and for all your support over the years. It means the absolute, absolute world to us. So again, thank you, thank you, thank you. Also, on a personal note, a big thank you to Ash and Mark. Um, you guys have been with me in one form or another since the beginning. And without you guys, uh, Cinefestions would be nothing. And so I thank you all so much for your support, uh, your dedication to help make Cinefestions something that I'm incredibly proud of. And I know you guys are as well. So thank you um, for sharing your thoughts on film and other media with us every week. Um, I'm lucky I get to call you guys my friends. Um, and I look forward to keeping Cinefestions alive as long as you guys are willing to stand me. So again, uh, thank you guys for everything that you do. I'm just grateful for the invite all those episodes ago and that I'm still part of this right now. So this is great. I wouldn't leave until uh, you uh, sign me. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I, I've been working on my restraining order, but, you know, they, the courts it, keep having a it, problem it, locating you in Canada. So Exactly. Oh, yeah. My eagle keeps melting. I hate when that happens. <laughs> <laughs> so, with all of that said, we will be back with episode 101, which will be a review of season one of the Netflix original series, Glow. Glow. 
not next Friday, but the following Friday, August 4th. Then, yep, two weeks from tonight, or tomorrow. So then we will move over to our Slasher Resurgence arc, which will release every other Friday with a double feature review throughout the uh, summer months until about the middle of September. Um, We hope you guys are excited about that one as we are, so... As always, if you have questions for the three of us here at the Cinefessions Podcast, please hit us up using the hashtag InFilmWeTrust for all of the questions you'd like us to answer here on the show, and we'll do our best to answer all of them. So again, hit us up on Twitter using that hashtag InFilmWeTrust. And if for some reason you're not on Twitter, give us a call, 1-302-448-TALK, or email us at contactthecinefessions.com for any of those question of the week options. And if you like what you're hearing, please leave us a review on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, Google Play, or wherever else it is you might be listening to us. Positive reviews help us reach a larger audience, which which is always the goal. So thank you for taking the time to do that. And if you are watching on YouTube, please subscribe, like, give that thumbs up. And uh, if you are subscribed, then you do get uh, notification whenever we go live or any new videos that come up. So definitely worth, worth subscribing to there. Um, and another reminder, you can reach us on social media. We love interacting with you guys there. Um, you can find us on Twitter, at uh, on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Cinefessions. So make sure you're following along on all three of those platforms. And also, Ash, remind us where else we can find you online. Uh, you can find me on Twitter and Tumblr, uh, DHGF. Yeah, DHGF, A-S-H-E. <laughs> For some reason, I thought you were saying oh, Tinder, and I was like, oh. That's a different way to. That's a different approach. <laughs> Swipe right. No, no, no. And what about you, Mark? Where can we Where can we find you? Uh, on uh, Instagram at mnado02. On Twitter at Mark with a C underscore Nado. Fantastic! And you find me on my personal Twitter feed at Simon One. That's P S Y M I N One. So if you watched us live, and Brent, I think that was you from the beginning. So thank you for watching us, dude. We really appreciate you. Um, and anybody else that stepped in while we were live, thank you so much. You guys are fucking awesome. So thank you. Um, if you're watching this after the fact, we thank you for that as well. Um, so thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for watching, uh, the live special edition episode 100 of the Cinefessions podcast. And remember, in film, we trust. We'll catch you next time. Yeah.